This is a production. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo Media. They take their racing seriously in Kannapolis. Oh, the green flag is back out. Who better to lead the Carolina contingent than the driver of the white number three car, number three car, number three, Dale Earnhardt Jr. You want to say your name? A lot of people kind of put this stereotype on you, well, you're this way, or you drive this way because you're running hard, or you, you drive like your daddy, or something like that. You know, it's just a two-way deal, something you have to deal with. Hey, everybody, it's Dale Jr. Welcome back again to the Bojangles studio for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download, and we've got a pretty interesting show for you today. I'm going to change it up a little bit. Mike Davis is out on vacation with his family. I'm a little jealous of where he went down to very, very uh, the, the southernmost point, if you catch my drift. But we have something special in store. My sister Kelly is going to dust off her uh, podcasting hat and come in here and co-host with me today. Kelly, thanks for filling in for Mike. We couldn't have a better uh, co-host to do that. I'm so excited. Like This is like the biggest thing I think I've done in my career. Oh, come on. <laughs> so you've hosted your own podcast. And you kind of know the drill. Um, you and your daughter Carson had a little run there. Fast Lane Family. Fast family? Lane Family. Yeah. Yep. You can still find it out there somewhere. Yeah, it's out there. So you know you know what's going on. But we, we also, and, and we've got a guest that kind of fits, you know, fits who's sitting at the table so far between me and you. Our Aunt Kathy's going to come in here. And um, we've had our family on from time to time as guests, and they've done a great job of sort of helping us understand a little bit more than we knew about Growing up in that household with Ralph Earnhardt, Martha Earnhardt, dad, and, and everything else that entails. But the other thing, too, about Kathy, she raced in what was called at the time, uh, and I guess still called today, powder puff races. She ran multiple, like 10, 10 12 races, mm-hmm. never lost, won every race. <laughs> Undefeated. She loves right. that title. She does. So that's pretty incredible. We're going to hear about that a little bit, and I've, I've seen one of those races. There's a video of her actually driving in, in one in, on YouTube somewhere, I think. Really? I think so, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anyhow, she's going to come in here in a bit, so I'm excited about that. We got a lot to talk about because we raced Martinsville in the Xfinity Series this past weekend. We saw the cup race, uh, and that was a bit of a struggle, so there's a lot to unpack about all of that, but anyways... You know, you're the you're you're my partner. We're owners in Junior Motorsports, mm-hmm. the car that I drove yeah. this past weekend. Uh, we also got to talk about Sam Mayer, you know, <laughs> and and everything that he got himself involved in at the end. Kickboxing of Kickboxing lessons. He needs some. Mm, we got a lot to talk. Boxing. About. We, want him, <laughs> we, we got we, a lot to talk about. We want him kicking. My boy, my boy needs some lessons on something. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want. Him, I don't know about kicking, but. Uh, we could just give him some regular boxing lessons. Yeah, I just I I heard that part of the Toyota program was like kickboxing and whatnot. So that just like well, came so the the rumor <laughs> uh, is that when when Noah and Burton Harrison got into it, I guess at Kentucky, when it, wherever that was, they brought in kickboxing lessons into the oh. into the you know into the training that these guys are all doing. Now I don't think that the veterans got that. But so the, we were inspiration for this, I guess. <laughs> Twice, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Yeah. So so I think that the younger guys that are uh, in the Toyota pipeline may be getting that type of training. It, it was very impressive, the accuracy of the punches that I saw Ty throw. Yeah. He didn't throw one and look. and what, you know. So a lot of people, when they throw a punch, they kind of look and see if they 
you know, how, how the punt. Did they, yeah. Yeah, did they. Did make they, contact. Did they make contact? They kind of admire or, or wonder, you know, what, what, what they just did. But he was already throwing his second punch. And so I, 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 I'm not an expert at throwing punches, but I went. <laughs> no, not you. I went. Oh, have you seen me throw punches? Not really. No, well, that's why you're not an expert. So I went to. Uh, I got a buddy of mine, Arturo Gotti. He's a boxer. Back when I was oh, yeah. very young, and you he did showed throw punches, he showed me how to throw punches. We used to have a boxing ring, mm-hmm. and me and my buddies used to all get in there and fight. What did he teach you? He showed me that a lot of people do throw a punch and kind of take a, a beat to 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 see what they did, right? And uh, and kind of watch the reaction of the person that they just swung on, right? Whereas in the boxing ring, he's already throwing his second punch before the first punch is already back home, right? So he, 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 threw, he showed me how to throw a combination, literally three punches, in the time that I was actually going to throw one. Damn. Uh, yeah, it was really, really impressive. Yeah, we, we got to work on that a little bit. We're instituting a new training program. Are it's going to be led by L.W. Miller. Okay. Will oh, that yeah. work out? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So they're all going to be very ill-tempered, short fuses. No, they're just going to, no, just the fighting part. Short fuse. (laughs) To learn how to throw punches. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, well, I. They uh, don't need to do that. That was, uh, they they don't need to learn how to, they need to learn to protect themselves, but we don't need like full engage contact fighting, I don't think. I don't know. I mean, Noah walked up to uh, Hemrick in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. swung and missed, swung a couple times and missed. Sam got popped twice before he ever. Yeah. Got going. So we got to do a little something. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to work on it. Yeah. Hey, Dirty Mo Media fans, do not skip this. Because we have created a once-in-a-lifetime event just for you called the Dirty Mo Media Ultimate Race Experience. I am here to tell you that we have packed this thing with so many perks and accessories and add-ons that this is hands down the best ticket and the best value in all of NASCAR. Here's why. A single ticket gets you a comfortable, cushy seat in a climate-controlled luxury suite where you are treated like royalty. You also have all-you-can-eat food and drink and beer, plus a parking pass, radio scanner to listen to your favorite drivers, private meet-and-greets with Dirty Mo Media personalities, swag bags full of merchandise, pre-race pit passes, and there's so much more. It really is the ultimate ticket, but don't take my word for it. Listen to what our Vegas Ultimate Experience ticket buyers had to say. It was awesome. It rocked. One of the the best race experiences I've ever had. Meeting all three, uh, meeting all three uh, spotters. They were awesome. They answered a lot of questions. I won a free car, which is awesome. Just to actually talk and have normal person conversations, like more than just hi, signing that autograph sort of thing, but to have a real conversation. Yeah, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. We hope to be able to do it again. You guys have to keep doing this. So you just heard it from them. Listen, come be a part of our next Ultimate Experience. It is on May 29th for the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Go to DirtyMoMedia.com right now and follow the prompts. It'll change your life and it will change the lives of anyone you bring with you. Again, DirtyMoMedia.com is the site. Look for the Ultimate Experience link or just go straight to it at DirtyMoMedia.com backslash Ultimate Experience. He is the show. Dale Jr., look at those eyes. I love seeing the intensity of these drivers trying to put down a 20-second lap here on the paperclip. I had a great time driving the car, got to the racetrack, had some hot dogs, 
Everything was good about that. We got a little practice in the day before, which was nice. I thought that the practice was going to be super short. I was all, I was already frustrated about the lack of practice before I even got to practice. And it turns out in that little 15 minutes that we had, we had plenty of laps and got I got to a, a point where I was like, all right, I got I feel pretty good about this. This is more than I ever this is more than I anticipated getting. So maybe practice is just right in terms of of how much they're getting feels limited sounds limited but yeah i got a lot out there but that's a short track where you can run multiple laps in a very quick set, uh, period of time i know when those guys were at coda and they had their 15 minutes or whatever it was i think josh said he got three laps and and none of them were clear um so when the race started he still really didn't know how you know he still was multiple seconds off what his pace could be if he had a couple you know a couple hours to practice you know maybe every track's my experience wouldn't be the same anyhow uh we were good in lap time we pumped our tires way up to start that practice which is going to make the car come in faster which is going to make the laps faster so i think we kind of tricked ourselves into thinking maybe we were better than we really were in speed the car was tight uh we made a couple changes didn't really make any gains so we undid everything that we changed and just started the race that way when the race began the car was really bad really slow real tight wouldn't turn uh, wasn't going anywhere, and um, we made a lot of changes all night long and actually got the car reasonable. And if we had really long runs, which you don't have in the Xfinity Series, we were going to be okay. It took me about yeah. 40 laps to get going. And then we were a little bit faster than, than – uh, we were running top five lap times on 40-lap tires, but you don't get those 40-lap runs in that, in that series. The stages are really short, and um, that's the only downside to, to running that race – or most the Xfinity races, is you don't really get to showcase, if you're good on old tires, which I always felt like I was, you don't get to showcase that. Mm -hmm. You know, the stages are really short. And then in the third stage, when the intensity picks up, there's more cautions typically. Yeah. So you still get those short runs even in that longer stage. But otherwise, your drive in Martinsville is a blast. You look like you had a ball. And yeah. I was going to ask you, but I think you just kind of explained it. Like, I just saw this change kind of mid-race. Like, you got very racy. You got aggressive. Looked like you were having fun. You're yeah. putting yourself in places that... That I was like, whoa, go Dale, because yeah. uh, we were there watching. And um, but I do have to ask, do you have a recollection of coming through that little yeah. hole, TJ? Oh yeah, and I've watched <laughs> that it was multiple crazy. times. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the video over and over on social media, and, and uh, you know, so TJ is on door bumper clear the week before, just dogging the heck out of how bad this experience is going to be and how hard it's been spotting for me over the last couple of years, how hard on him I am, and his, you know, Brett and and those guys are giving him a lot of ammunition and agging him on, TJ would never want to admit in front of them that he was looking forward to it, right, or that he might enjoy it or that we're great friends, right? <laughs> He's going to put up a front. So I made a point to not say one negative word to TJ the entire weekend. And so I was overly nice throughout the whole race and everything. And we had a great time. Yeah, um, it sounded fun. It was. You know, I, I the last two races that I've ran – the you know the balance of the car for me has been really tight we've not had practice we raced at richmond and then we raced at martinsville this year and in richmond we run 15th i think and uh, just weren't good and i couldn't figure out why because all you know my teammates some of them were pretty good some of them were kind of struggling but they all got better as the race went on and we didn't this past weekend again most of my teammates were pretty fast uh and we struggled i struggled so i don't know whether i need to free my car up or what i'm a little perplexed you know as to where the pace is 
why I can't figure out how to get this car to roll the center of the corner like my teammates can with the same setup. The lack of track time certainly plays a role. I thought that you know, with all my experience and years of racing that I could just jump in this car at the tracks that I know really well and jump, go right to, uh, you know, into the top five and, and compete for top tens relatively easy. It would be just pretty simple to sit around and run fifth or sixth or seventh. And, um, that's not been the case the last two years. So I don't know, we're going to keep digging and show up again next year somewhere and, and give it another run. But, uh, the last couple of races, I've been wanting to find a little more pace than, than what we've had still having a good time though otherwise you know that was that was pretty much my night we got uh, a couple of the drivers tweeted at me that they wanted to have a cold beer or something after the race i said if y'all serious i'll have a cooler ready <laughs> race is over moffitt was one of them he fell out and he apologized he sent me a note and said man i had i went home i don't blame him yeah i told them i said if i fall out early or i yeah. miss the race or whatever i won't be there for beers Jeremy Clements come over. I gave uh, Ryan Sieg a beer, and uh, he would have had more, but he had to go out and get in his hauler and I bring his 18-wheeler in to load up his stuff. I mean, that's what pretty— What a guy. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Hard worker. And then— Where'd uh, you get the White Claw from for Noah? That wasn't mine. <laughs> I know it wasn't. That didn't come in my cooler. <laughs> Noah went and found <laughs> that somewhere. I saw the picture he posted. He said, beers with the boss. I all right. the comment yeah. was— you're it's not, not a beer. holding a beer. <laughs> so he came over. I offered him beer. Didn't like what he saw in the cooler. Left. Came back with a White Claw. I was, uh, I, 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 you know, I know I wouldn't drink a White Claw, but I admire the determination. And the, 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 I admire him putting it, putting it out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I no admire shame. his efforts to find something that he wanted to drink and come back and, and join us. Yeah. Uh, even the winner, Jones, come through and had a beer. I saw him down, down Pit Road doing some interviews after Victory Lane had cleared out. And he come over and had a beer with us. You uh, stayed Ryan, down there quite. Ryan Vargas yeah. came yeah, yeah, over yeah. and had yeah. you know hung out. It was great, and I think more drivers had they known it was going to happen might have come through for yeah. sure. Right. So um, you started this whole new like post race party, man. Well, I'm I kind of like it. So I'm I'm just bringing it back. This was kind of the way you did it, you know, at when, when they were racing the short tracks in the Xfinity Series, when it was a sportsman series in the 70s, and when the race was over, everybody stood around their car on pit road and just chatted it up for hours, right? Uh, and then, you know, they were loading up in the wee hours of the morning and easing out of there. Um, and so I told somebody, I said, I don't know why I didn't do this after every race. <laughs> this is pretty fun. This should have, you know, this is how I should have ended every race. Anyways, that, I, I wanted to, you know, Get your take on Sam and, and Ty and all that and how that went down. I know when, you know, those they've had a history over the years. They don't like each other. And Ty has been really aggressive, you know, uh, runs his teammate up the racetrack at Richmond. And if that is, if, if he deems that okay and fair racing, then he's got to be able to take it when it's coming his way. Uh, and he's certainly put himself in a situation where it's coming. And so Sam, who already doesn't like him, is in position uh, to give him a little bit of his own medicine and does. Yeah. And then when they cross the checkered flag, Ty went up there and showed his displeasure and run in the back of the one car after the race. I thought all that was okay. You know, I really didn't have a problem with that. I think Ty was a little, Ty, Ty's got to be able to take that. I know that the person doing it, being Sam, they don't like each other. So he reacted based off of that past relationship. Right. I think if it was A.J. Allmendinger or someone else, maybe he doesn't get kind of crazy after the checkered flag. But I was laughing. I saw him doing it on the back straightaway. I'm like, and I keyed the mic to TJ and I said, "Oh, he can't take it. <laughs> he can't take it." 
Everybody was waiting yeah. to see how Ty would react when he got the same, he got raced the way he's has been racing guys, yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody's waiting on to see how he, he would he would react. And I expected it to be imperfect. He's young. He's He's not got it all figured out. And he's learning some hard lessons and he'll learn some more. All the drivers are. Sam's learning hard lessons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought the hole that Sam made was, there was nothing wrong with it. It's yeah. Martinsville, the little the tap, you expect that. They're racing for $100,000. That's true. So that's a big deal. Sam's racing, you know, for his second $100,000. So that's even a, a bigger reason to go after it. Um, and, they'll, you know, the taps afterwards um, were fine. And then, uh, I don't know, the fight, none of it bothered me. I mean, you know, the arguing, the whatever. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, like, okay, who started this? What happens? One walked away, one turned their head, this, that, the other. But the fact that it commenced as long as it did was like, whoa. Because, like, there were people trying to get tie off. And I don't think anybody was trying to, like, I couldn't see any of our people like helping Sam or do whatever, but Ty got some got some good hits in, and yeah. um, they yeah. just don't like each other, and yeah. I think that's why it kind of went as far as it did because that sort of that has been boiling over for a long time between them two. I yeah, talked the I, other series, I guess, that they ran. They've Arca had some and so right? I talked to Sam the next day. He said that he is over it. That he's fine. He's going to move on. He's going to. He, they had a meeting in the hauler after the race. Told him, man, y'all don't do anything stupid. You're not going to be foolish and and, and um, misrepresent the sport or be unprofessional. And that's when NASCAR kind of steps in when they feel like you're making a mockery of things. Yeah. And so I talked to Sam. He's like, man, I'm I'm he can do he can handle this however he wants. I can't control that. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna stay focused on trying to do my job. And if he does something on the track, I'll handle it as it comes. But otherwise, I'm not going out there to to try to get back at him or try to keep going, to try to keep prodding him. Now, you know, he says that when we get on the racetrack together and, and, and maybe Ty cuts him off or Ty does something that he thinks is not okay, it's going to happen. Yeah, it but will. I think that's going to be like Sam to me is like going to protect and defend himself. He's not like a spiteful Sam's person. not an instigator. He Sam's might, not well, the guy that starts it. No, I think not, that if there's something that's going to happen, he's going to respond, but I don't think he's, he's going to start it. Yeah. He's not going to be the guy that makes the first move. I don't think he so. He will be the guy that reacts to whatever he thinks. I think is, so. Yeah. I know. So I think that Ty, I think that it's inevitable that this will continue. Yeah. Even if they both at this moment are ready to move beyond it. Yeah. I just feel like that the way they don't get along and the way they can't, they are completely annoyed by each other, that the way Ty races – his body language, his actions on the track are going to continue to annoy, right? And and vice versa. I think Sam may annoy Ty. It's going to escalate again. Now, I could be completely wrong. They might end up six months from now being best friends. Don't see it, but <laughs> I don't see hey, that happening. Crazy, crazier, <laughs> crazier things, stuff has crazier happened. Right? things have happened. Right. Some of the rivalries in this sport tend to go that route. Yeah. Guys. No, they butt heads, and then they find out, oh, man, you know, we got a lot in common. I kind of like this guy. I know it sounds crazy right now, yeah, but it's really possible. I was a little, I mean, honestly, the race, the the meeting, our Monday morning meeting, I was a little concerned with. Uh, L-Dub and I, you know, watched the race from a suite um, the whole night and had a radio up there. And, you know, in all honesty, everybody, all of, everybody but you, you were the only person that wasn't mad about anything. <laughs> Um, you know, Noah was upset when Sam missed the shift and caused the issue for him. We had uh, Josh get into uh, like a break-in contest with somebody. I forget who that caused you to have a problem. <laughs> Clements. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah, Clements. So uh, there was there was action all over with pretty much everybody. I think. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, it, you're gonna that, you can't escape it at Martinsville. Yeah. 
One thing I, I wanted to say, nope. if you don't mind, I was up in the stands, which I don't have that perspective very often yeah. in a in a NASCAR, you know, Xfinity or Cup race, and the fans were mad. But then, like after I took my junior motorsports, like figuratively hat off of it, I was like, man, you know, ties kind of putting himself out there it might hurt him but i'm like man it's kind of good for the sport you know in a way you know it's got everybody talking talking exactly and i kind of i kind of like it when i take my you know this being in this building hat off i think you can wear that hat and still feel that way yeah i mean absolutely it's you know i mean i thought back to kyle bush i thought back to my dad i mean gosh many a times i listened to booze as a kid you know to uh things that people didn't like but um you know i do think that's where like you said they they the personalities have to shine through for these guys right so yeah. that's a, that's a good thing um especially in the xfinity series because they're kind of building their mark and building their brand and, and building who they are and what they are so um you know i hate controversy i hate conflict yes you i do. run from it i don't like the negativity and the the i want to have a good time i want to have fun i see that type of stuff as it's not enjoyable but I love when I'm watching a race, when I'm a fan in the stands, I love it. I love seeing it. I think there's a way you can be respectful about it, though, and I think that's kind of the difference between, like, the conflict and the controversy. And, like, you can have that. You can have those actions on the racetrack. You can have kind of that argument, but then it can go too far, yeah. right? But sometimes the when it goes too far, it has to go too far sometimes. It can't always be be able to be pulled back i guess it cannot yeah like to find like it's like going out on the racetrack and trying to find that limit of where you're going to spin out and how fast you can go yeah. right so yes kind of yeah so yeah. sometimes it needs to go a little too far yeah. to keep us all honest the I line guess. Is, yeah. yeah i'm i'm with i'm with y'all i think it's great for the sport even if one of our guys is involved in it and we might have certain personal opinions uh and we 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 certainly have to move and shift into a position to protect sam um and and he's our driver but uh, as a from a forty thousand foot view, it's absolutely awesome uh, for our sport to have drama, genuine drama. These yeah, guys real. weren't, you know, these guys are really getting after it and really not really don't like each other. And while that might not be so fun for them to be lo- rolling around on pit road, it, it was the best thing that happened at the racetrack that weekend in terms of you know starting conversations and getting people talking all week week long. I know that people were talking about the cup race but not for all the not right for reasons right. yeah i was getting ready to say it was the best race and best action all weekend uh, of the three races picture this it's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work you get into your car and turn on the ac to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible but it doesn't work instead blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face no your car doesn't hate you This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. So the cup race, you know, Kelly, you are an owner in Xfinity Series, and the cup series raced at Martinsville. They, you know, there's a lot of variables, I think, that played into the way that race went. 
and why it was, for lack of a better word to choose, boring. You know, the cars, uh, we, we could sit here and list the issues that are going on with the car uh, or what people think might need to be fixed or adjusted. But from an owner's standpoint, I think it's important to know, you know, the drivers are going to have their opinions. NASCAR is going to listen to them, listen to the owners. But when, there's a little issue, I think, in terms of trying to get parts and pieces. And it's not only affecting the Cup Series, but it's also affecting uh the Xfinity teams to be able to get what they need. The stuff, the, the manufacturers aren't able to deliver or produce as much as they were in the past yep. for whatever reason. So you can, you know, you can certainly speak on that. But whatever needs to change, all right. If if uh, the drivers and the teams and all everybody gets together and says, okay, we got to stop shifting. So we got to we got to we got to build new uh, gears and gearing and so forth. Uh, whatever else needs to be uh, changed isn't sitting on a shelf somewhere that you can just go grab it and put it on the car, right? That's going to stall the process, I suppose. So while we might know what to fix or what to change, actually getting that done and making that making that a reality isn't as easy as it might have been two or three years ago, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, so I watched a little bit of the cup race from a fan's perspective, really, yeah. because I don't understand the new car. I don't, I don't understand, you know, the mechanics of how it works. And I was reading some of the comments after the race, just trying to wrap my mind around it. But the shifting thing and I think the tires were yeah. a couple of the big situations, right? Yes. Well, everybody knows there's shortages on tires. It's affecting, you know, every kind of racing out there. So imagine trying to build something new, figure out what – I hadn't even thought about that. Compound is necessary. I'm so, I am, you know, I, I was a, and could be in the future, I don't know, a Goodyear spokesman, right? Yeah. I've worked with them in the past. Yeah. And they are the only game in town, right? So we have to take care of them, but I've been critical of them in the past as a driver. I think it's, is, it's like, hey, just change the compound. Yeah. Hey, Goodyear, <laughs> just bring a different tire. Hey, Goodyear, just, this is, here's the fix. Make it happen. But you're right. I didn't even think, okay, if there's if there's material shortages when it comes to composite bodies and, and mm-hmm. other things, they're certainly dealing with the same issues at the Goodyear plant. They can't just sit here and create batch after batch after batch of tires to figure out, okay, this is the one that this is the magic combination that's gonna make racing better at the short tracks. Yeah, I mean that's a you know, I don't know what other I don't know all the different series and who has the tires between Goodyear and yeah. the Hoosiers of the world and the Burrs of the world. And I'm thinking through uh, our little go-kart, you know, that we run with Wyatt and what we've been facing. But I see it with USAC. You know, they're facing tire shortages. They're canceling races. They're, um, you know, we're, we're limited um, at our local track here on how many tires we can buy on set. So I imagine that the same thing's happening yeah. for a Goodyear of the world. There's massive issues. Massive issues everywhere. At the short so, tracks yeah. with the Hoosier tire. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. So yeah, it's not that it's not that easy of a fix. And the um, other issue too is probably that they've already produced X amount of tires. What do they do with those, right? You can't you can't run a business successfully by just continuing to manufacture and shelving and never using half of your inventory. Yeah. Right? If this tire's now obsolete and unnecessary, what are they you know? Yeah, and I imagine I mean it's just like with this new car. And anything else that's new in in your world, you you haven't come across every scenario that there is to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Martinsville was another one of those scenarios on the short track with uh, the racing that it, it it normally produces with this new configuration of the entire car. Um, the shifting thing, explain that to me. What are we talking about here? Well, basically, they have 
in my it's my understanding that they run the same gearing and basically show up to the racetrack and if you only run third gear or need only need third gear or fourth gear that's all you run they didn't shift into fifth gear at martinsville they didn't need it and did they used to do that no oh okay so never the, okay no so there were always four okay. gears in a cup car just like our xfinity cars are okay. now just like the late now model. there's five gears just like the late model that you raced yep and it was an h pattern yeah and now they have a sequential, so it's like a motorcycle. It's mm-hmm, all forward mm-hmm. and reverse. And you just go bam, 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 bam. Okay. And now they have five. They might use fifth gear at some of the bigger tracks, but at Martinsville, they never even needed it. So they were running, you know, they some were downshifting to second or third gear in the corners and then going back to fourth on the straightaway. And so... And would you have shifted at Martinsville in the never, past? Never. Never, yeah, never, never. So this was... Okay. Yeah. And they wanted to they wanted to avoid that. They would make sure that we were running the right gear that would not so that you'd have present to that, that right. as an opportunity. Because shifting is not good at a short track, much less it's not good in an oval. Yeah. It seemed like it would take too many seconds, which Well are, no, basically no, it's actually that. better it's to better. shift. Okay. So if 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 I can shift, right, and you can't. But I got a gear that I can shift. Well, you're going to bog down, yeah, if you don't shift. That if you don't shift, that. not only are you bogging down, but if I, every little mistake that I make, I can recover so much easier with the gearing that I have. And so what I think, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm between the track temp being really cold. That raises the grip. They had a wider tire, much more comfortable tire on the racetrack, a lot of grip there. So they kind of performed like a modified car might where it rolls through the corner really fast with a lot of grip, right? There's downforce and all the things working on the car, uh, the undercarriage creating downforce. So this car really got through the corner really well. And then with the shifting, any little mistake a driver might have made by sliding the tire or or pushing in the middle of the corner or slipping on the throttle, they could recover pretty quickly. The guy behind them wouldn't have a chance to gain on them on the straightaway to be able to make an attempt to pass in the next corner. And so we, we saw very little passing due to all the grip and the shifting. I think that, you know, like I was with you, I was reading, I didn't drive the car, wasn't at the race. I don't have, I can't, I don't, I don't have like uh, this perfect solution, but I was reading all the driver comments and it's all over the board. And there's some great information there. If you weed through probably a hundred percent of the comments, you probably find about 50 to 60%, you know, reasonable ideas to try. Harvick says, car's fine. Let's get rid of shifting. I can agree with that. Uh, Denny says we need a whole new redesign. That's not possible. <laughs> That's never happened. Well, I mean, Denny had his worst Martinsville probably ever. I mean, he did, but he yeah. also won the week yeah. before at a short track in yeah, Richmond. True. So um, while Denny, Denny may be technically correct that this, you know, a, a totally redesigned car would perform much, much better, like, but it's not happening. So yeah, right. you know, what's, what's, what's really the solution when, a total redesign is off the table. Yeah. You know, I think Goodyear can definitely come back with a softer tire that wears out. The tire apparently wasn't falling off at all, maybe a half a second over an entire run. So we need tires that fall off a second and a half, two seconds everywhere if we could get it, right? You want drivers really struggling to try to get the car off the corner and sliding the left front and all those things, trying to get in the corner. The brakes are way too good for these short tracks, but you're not going to get NASCAR to redesign the brakes. and spend the money that it's going to take for the owners to have a smaller, less, less, you know, go back to basically what we had in the past. You're never going to get that. So that's off the table. Yeah. So you're going to fight against that at the short tracks, breaking too well, being able to get down the corner deeper. You're not going to get a smaller tire, I doubt. 
NASCAR or Goodyear's not going to design a different tire. You're not going to get new wheels. And really, where where else are we going where this will be an issue like Martinsville? Because I mean, Richmond right. wasn't a bad race. See that that to me, Richmond was a, not a great not a great race. race. No, yeah, not a great race. No. So both short tracks, in most people's opinions, were. I just didn't see as many complaints. That's kind of where I'm gauging my. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> they, they fell short. Gauging my social media. <laughs> so the problem, I think, you know, I think we have to fix it. And we have to be uh, diligent to fix it because honestly, you know, we're. We're losing short tracks. We're, yeah. you know, short track racing is entertaining, fun. If we can't have great racing at Martinsville and Richmond, it yeah. really pushes back against the argument of trying to get more short tracks on the schedule. People aren't going to want more short tracks if this is the product. And so we're going to all, you know, if we ain't careful, we'll be running 36 road, road courses. Road <laughs> will turn into something different. It will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that'll be... Uh, That'll be a tough day. We watched that race on TV, and it was incredible, that last, like, 15, 20-lap run. They had so much grip, and they were able to just cut right in the center of the corner, and you never saw anyone go in and get loose, anything like that. I mean, Logano we were watching, and it was 10 laps to go, and he'd get into the corner, and he'd put that little extra wheel and put it, and it would just cut right to the bottom of the racetrack. And I was like, I mean, these guys were like slot cars on Martinsville, <laughs> and that was that's half the allure of seeing someone go in there and get a little bit out the groove, and, you know, you pucker a little bit on the outside of someone, but they were stable everywhere they were, and it was frustrating to watch as Martinsville. Yeah, even I the agree. back of the pack cars. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> even the back of the pack cars, everybody went through the turn yeah. on the, the bottom, hooked the yeah. same. with speed. It was like everybody had the same pace. Yeah, It really was. Yeah. Pretty interesting, but uh, – I'm certain that NASCAR is working really hard to try to figure out some answers. They cannot. They know that they don't want to go back and and have something similar, because then people will be like, "Hey, man, you knew you had a problem, right?" They don't want the feed. They they feel this feedback, all this negativity. They feel it. They hate it. They don't want any more of it. So they're going to go fix it if they can. Uh, but it'll be interesting in what they try to do to make it better. Martinsville's fun, honestly, Kelly. I think I'd like to go back to Martinsville next year. But I also want to try – I also miss Homestead, man. That's a fun racetrack. You know, I run one a year, yeah, Kelly. Yeah, I know. So that, you want to run more? I didn't know I could. Let's negotiate right here on well, national television. Mm, <laughs> I don't want to run more if we're a fifth no, car. Teasing. It's kind of It tough. is hard. It is really it's hard. hard on the, it's yeah. hard on the company. And you, yeah. can feel the, you can feel how stressed – The difference, yeah. Yeah, it's a little, yeah. It's a little tough. And it's up in the air between Martinsville and Homestead for next year – opinion now opinion. You know, we're going to get some influence from hellman's and i'm sure you guys when i say you guys junior motorsports so, yes I gotcha. um, anyways looking forward to seeing what we can figure out and the guys are going to dirt bristol this weekend this weekend the xfinity cars not going off they're off but we've got two drivers there this weekend in the uh, truck series oh no cup series, yeah. cup series. justin's yeah. running the 77 yep. car for spire yep and no then way. noah's running colleague oh wow colleague car so uh, i can't wait to watch that i'm looking forward to it uh, they reprofiled the racetrack and and seems like they got a better idea on what they need to be doing to make make a good race. So it was real dusty there last year. So we'll see how that works out at Bristol. Kathy Watkins, our aunt, she's coming in here to the studio uh, to talk about. She's nervous now. Oh, I'm sure. Everybody <laughs> that comes in here usually is, right? Yeah, I know um, the feeling. We'll have to break down that barrier real quick. You got to figure out how to break some break the ice, Kelly. Okay, we can get do her, it. Get her get her comfortable. All right, let's bring Kathy in here. is that we have a new leader, uh, Ralph Earnhardt in car number 50 in the lead, and Bobby Allison is in second. 
Earnhardt grew up in the town of Kannapolis, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. The Earnhardt family home is at the corner of Coach and Sedan Streets. Out back was Dad's garage, where father and son spent time together working on cars. But his favorite driver of them all was his dad, Ralph. My father was always uh, the best for as I was concerned. Right, and there you see the two cars in the lead right now, Ralph Earnhardt in 50. It's been a long road from his Kannapolis, North Carolina upbringing to the big time. Number three car, number three car, number three car, number three car, number three car. All right, howdy, howdy. there she is. Come on in. Hey. hey. Look at her. She's got, I know, she's prepared. She's got, she's stuff. got her stuff. Stuff to look mm -hmm. at. I got a picture just from this page. <laughs> oh, gosh. And look at that. To my Aunt Kathy. And there you to go. To my favorite aunt. Oh. We need more family reunions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that what I say in the, is that right down there? Mm -hmm. This is a good one, Bill. I think I remember. Uh, yep. this, uh, Murder Beach. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get too many of those. Nope. Picture of me and Dad sitting in the Dale always recliner. sat as far away as he could. Yeah. <laughs> can we make this cherry higher? I yeah. feel like he might yeah. can. I got you. I got you. There you Thank go. You. There you go. Take a deep breath, Aunt Kathy. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be fun. Yeah. <laughs> you got go. this. Listen to her. She's Why are you nervous? so nervous? I feel like y'all need to be. Oh, we need a right shot here. of High Rock or something. No kidding. <laughs> oh, do you have one? <laughs> See, there we go. That's some really smooth vodka. Right? I really like Dude, rock. I mean, I'm telling That's everybody. My favorite. Yeah, we enjoy and it. And now you can find it right here in Mooresville. Yeah. Oh, they finally do have it. They yeah, finally have it. store. Yep. So, Aunt Kathy. Wait a minute before we start. All right. I thought I was just going to be a fill in for a slow week, and here I am following Robert Wickens. Yeah. My superstar. I mean, he is an amazing man, and I have to follow him. So. Yeah. Well, you'll be fine. There's you'll be fine. People are going to be excited about yes. it. What a benchmark. <laughs> I know. I think about that every week. I mean, the, it just they, they never let you down here on the download in terms of uh, guest stars. So you'll yeah. do fine. And then Matthew's telling me about numbers, and I thought, well, we might be an all-time low here. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you got to be somewhere, right? <laughs> that way you got a way to work up, That's right? right. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, our family, you know, we know life on um, – v8 street and sedan uh you and dad and and Kay and randy and danny all grew up in this house that we've been going to for years for family reunions but tell me um what's your earliest memory what's your earliest childhood memory and where were you honestly my my first childhood memory uh, mom and dad when they first married lived in a three-room apartment on universal street and literally, their bedroom had a bassinet in it for Randy. The living room was me and Kay and Dale. And then Mother also kept her niece, or my cousin Rosemary, uh, because her parents worked at night. And so all these kids in the living room sleeping, you know, you can imagine how hard it is to get them Golly. all to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. And can you imagine having an Isla and then a baby between Isla and Nicole? Nicole, and then another one after Nicole. Yeah. That was Mama's range of kids for it, in a three-room yeah. three apartment. Mm -hmm. One of my first memories was getting my butt beat by my daddy because I ran away from home at four years old. Where Never were you done going? It since. Now, wait a minute. Up to my Did you know you were house. running away? <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Kay had got to go to Grandma Earnhardt's up at the big house, and I wanted to go. I remember it vividly. I wanted to go. I couldn't understand why I didn't get to go. So I got a pair of my mama's red high heels, and here I go. And, of course, Sedan Street was a dirt road then. And Rick Bost, I had to walk right by Rick Bost's house, you know, Rick, Rick and his family, all were our friends growing up. And here I was clomping in my high heels. I was going to my grandma's. I, my, my mom and daddy didn't love me. So I got to grandma's, and she, of course, was panicking, wondering why I was there. And I knew, heard the phone ringing, and I got in the wardrobe and hid. I said, Grandma, don't you tell my daddy I'm here. Don't you tell my daddy I'm here. Kathy, I can't lie to your daddy. And, of course, the next thing I saw was the doors open and daddy pulling me out of the wardrobe. I was going to use another word, pulling me out of the wardrobe and whipped me every step of the way home. Goodness. Never run away again. He taught me a lesson. He was um, a firm hand when it came to discipline. Yeah. But then, you know, my grandma Earnhardt, um, my grandpa was a good bit older than her, about 20-some years older than grandma, and he died of a heart attack. And I was five at that time, but then right after that, we moved to the big house. And I thought we were in a mansion, you know, <laughs> from that three-bedroom apartment, a three-room apartment. I, that was a mansion to me, but it was Grandma and Mama and four of us kids. Mother was pregnant with Danny when we moved up there. He's the only one that didn't live in the apartment. And so then I remember Kay starting school and me crying wanting to go standing on the front porch and wanting to go to school but then grandma met a man on lonely hearts writing lonely hearts letters wow and met jesse miles up in bryson city oh grandma was around her. she find she'd find her husband <laughs> <laughs> i'm just laughing at the lonely hearts letters like yeah. i guess it's she, been a thing it just was written <laughs> well now well now it's yeah, harmony farmers and, only yeah, and whatever stuff like that, right? online. Yeah. <laughs> but um jesse miles a wonderful man had never been married lived with his old maid sister who'd never been married so her her and grandma fought over grandpa jesse a lot wow <laughs> who was gonna wait fix his tea or make his sandwich you know yeah but we loved going up to the mountains and visiting, staying with her. My first memory of going up there as a little girl, our first going up there, it was snowing. And there, you know, Grandma looked through a steering wheel like this. She was a little bitty woman like Kay. You know, Kay's built more like Grandma Earnhardt. And driving a big old Ford, I think, at the time, and sitting on a pillow looking through the steering wheel, and she'd just fly. Well, we went off the side of a mountain, and I thought we were crashing, but was going down their driveway. Their driveway was very steep down down the side of a mountain. Me and Dale both were screaming, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My gosh. But you know, we had and y'all were y'all were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, two of the uh, more adventurous kids, right? Dale and you I and, were probably the closest. Yeah. Yeah. How I, how close are y'all in age? <laughs> okay. Mom and Daddy wanted a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and they got Kay. Then they I love want, this story. Then they wanted a boy and got me 14 months later. Then 16 months later, they got Dale. So it's, it's, he got my ride, you know? <laughs> my God. She feels I like she just to be got, the boy. you know, left right out. Yep. <laughs> I, I was supposed to, and I always wanted to be the boy. I, I won't say I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to be able to do what the boys did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. go out in the garage or play in the dirt and i didn't want to be a girl i didn't want to 
You didn't want to do so girl So I didn't take home egg. <laughs> I wanted to be in the shop, you know. When you went out there, uh, did you, what did Ralph say? I didn't, I, when I was a little girl, I'd go in the shop, i help wash parts and learned about carburetors back then, how to put them together, and I was pretty good at it. But then as I grew up and got close to my teen years, Daddy told me one day I couldn't come back in the shop. And I didn't, at that time, didn't really understand why. But it was about... Becoming a lady. Being a woman. <laughs> being a woman. And um, the fact that the men, you know, their language or their sure. innuendos, their joking or yeah. whatever, yeah, yeah. I was starting to understand. Yeah. And so, but it was the most devastating day of my life was not to be able to go in the shop anymore and be there be part of it and that's been my whole life goal is to be a part of it be a part of something of the racing that's why i drove the powder puff derbies i was so excited about getting to do that because back then how dare a woman think she could race you know so they call them powder puff derbies <laughs> that was probably one um so how did that come to be how did the powder puff come to be in terms of uh, well racing? they just said they were going to have one and being as a girl, you just go around and say, please, can I drive your car, please? And so, so who did you go to? Well, James Miller, it depended. You know, my first husband, David, the car he was driving, he owned. He let me drive it. James Russell let me drive theirs once. James Miller let me drive his once. It just, and then there's some cars that kind of blur sure. in between till the last race. And that one was the most... Um, exciting i guess for me and scary because it was supposed to be on the same weekend of the charlotte fall race and so because sharon hodgson was coming and driving a neil bonnet car she had been practicing in north wilkesburg and doing times as good as the men and you know i'm shaking in my boots thinking because i'm driving a semi-modified she's driving a late model yeah so we go practice at concord the new Concord uh, down there, and I spin out a couple times, and they say, that's where you know where your edge is. Now you know, you know, what to do to keep from spinning out. Wore out a couple tires, and they said, now you can't do that. We can't afford tires, so it rained the race out that weekend, and so, I mean, Sharon came in down there, Dale. She had the Neil Bonnet's team, his whole race team, <laughs> a big truck, a hauler. You know, they drove her car out of a hauler. My little car was on the back of a tow, little pickup truck was towing it, and it was kind of, you know, very unequal at that time. So the uh, rained it out, and so our Powder Puff Derby was the next week. Of course, Charlotte race was passed, and so they moved on, I think, to Dover at the time. And so I was disappointed Dell wasn't going to get to be there, but in a way it was kind of, okay, that he wasn't going to be there. So pressure off. <laughs> a little bit of pressure off. But I still had to raise Sharon, who I knew was probably the more, most equal to all the women I'd ever raised. I'm not going to say that other ladies couldn't do it, but most of the time I'd lap them, except at Hickory on asphalt. I didn't lap anybody up there, but I still won. And so then we got that night of the race, okay? And, you know, we had heat races, and Sharon started on the pole 
she won her heat race. I think I finished third or fourth in my heat race, and so I'm really in a panic. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I was nine for nine. Sharon's going to beat my record, all this kind of stuff. So here we go. We get started. I don't even remember how many laps the race was, but we had probably more cars in that race than we'd ever had in one of our races. There was probably 25 or more cars, and usually there might be 10. Yeah. So, of course, Sharon's leading every lap. I was passing cars, and I was catching up with her and finally got behind her. And There was one car between me and her, and it was the last lap, but I didn't know it. I did not see the white flag. But I went into turn one, and I saw a hole. And one thing Dale told me, Kathy, just drive down in there under them. They'll move over. <laughs> he did. That's the only advice he really told me was just drive down in there. So I did. I hit that hole. I went under her and the other car, come around, and she got behind in the steering somehow and hit the front stretch guardrail head on and broke her foot. And I won the race. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> just and, like that. And I caused her wreck. And she's behind me, you know, just like that. And... Um, I have a picture of my celebration with my trophy, but we'll I'll take a picture we'll of see it that, yeah. Yeah. to you. So I've seen the video of that race. Sunbelt video. Yeah. Sharon hired Sunbelt video. Um, <laughs> she hired him to come out there. And we can <laughs> thank her for. We can thank her the, for thank the her existence. Thank her for the footage. She can thank uh, you. Can thank her that we even have a picture. Right. Because back then, your phones didn't take camera mm-hmm. uh, pictures. You didn't have the camera on your phone, and so yeah. Yeah, thanks to Sharon Hodgkin, we have video and pictures. Yep. Yeah, and so I look for the picture of me with my bubble, my bubble <laughs> visor. Yep. Mike said, "Oh, Mike, Dale will love that one," so, but I I couldn't find it in my short time of looking. So, um, you found it, Matthew? Yeah, uh, okay. Connie Goodman gave us uh, uh, some good ones. Good old Connie. So, <laughs> good old wait, Connie. wait till you see those videos, Kathy. So yeah. I was looking at your, um, you know, your first. Race was in 75. You ran one in 76, 77, 82. I got the page yeah, upside 72. down. Sorry. <laughs> 72, 72, yeah. 73, 73, 4, 5. So this 10 race career, right, was a span of 10 years almost. Yep. Um, why weren't there – was a powder puff like a – It wasn't a regular – right? It, yeah. It wasn't a regular event. So – and they called a couple off because they didn't have enough cars. Okay. You know, the girls running around, please. Some of them had cars. Some of them wanted to race, didn't. So. Did the, after that race in 82, at Concord, your final one, was there ever another chance for you to drive? Not that just, I, no. It just stopped happening. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, what would Danny or Randy say about your skill level? I won't ask your dad because he was... <laughs> He was hard-headed, but <laughs> what would Randy and Danny say you had in talent? It never really was discussed. It was always just, yeah, you're the only undefeated Earnhardt, you yeah. know. It was just that kind of yeah. cheering and carrying you, on. Have you ever thought, though, in your mind, like, you know, what, what it might have been like? Had you been afforded sort of what the opportunities are today? Well, today, today if, it, if I was here today at that age, oh, yeah, I'd be right there all in it. Yeah. I'd be right there all in. I was always so jealous, not jealous, proud and excited for Kelly because I saw her as the next generation that's going to be able to race. And 
when we went to Myrtle Beach that time, and I think when she got out of the car, she was five pounds lighter because it was <laughs> so hot. hot. Remember, yeah. Oh, yeah. you were just drenched, and I thought, I don't know if I'd be able to do this or not. But you know, just having the resources. I I had baby early in life. You know, I was seventeen when Stacy was born. Yeah. That created a lot of decision-making in my future and what I could and couldn't do. What was it like being at Metrolina and those places (laughs) in the 70s? It was, you know, we always had had trucks in the infield, Earnhardt's, Yuri's. Oliver's. The Smarts. Well, the Oliver's and Earnhardt's were kind of together because I was married to an Oliver, but it was always that competition. Well, then Danny was dating a Yuri, and so we had personal relationships we had to be careful with, but our dads were serious competitors. Even though they were somewhat friends, they were serious competitors. There was men at night that, you know, on the other track, that damn Earnhardt, you know. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty common thing to hear after one of Daddy's races because people would wreck he had nothing to do with it, but always be his fault because <laughs> um, I think I was telling Matt one of the most fun and interesting nights was at Metrolina. Daddy was leading the race, and Carl Smart was behind him, but he was like on his bumper, right on the front stretch. Daddy goes to the wall, and Carl ends up head head on in the wall. Now he was behind Daddy, but they said Daddy wrecked him. I can't imagine. Can you? He did drive him right in the wall because Carl didn't have enough sense to know that and prevent it. (laughs) (laughs) He'd raced Daddy a lot of times. He knew what Daddy's skill level was. He knew what he was capable of, huh? (laughs) He just wasn't capable of preventing that wreck. We were coming out of the grandstands that night, and people were cussing Daddy and threatening to kill him. And, oh, he's a dirty driver. And me and my friends, I had my kids, and... We're walking out, and she said, how do you do this? How do you listen to what all they're saying and not get, want to go after them, you know, to the throat? I said, it's my daddy would beat my butt if I was mean to a race fan. He, He respected them. He said, that's what pays for your dinner and your food. You're never to be ugly to a race fan and that's from the time we were real little growing up and i did this time i've got kids and i would never go against that because it was it was true we respected i love race fans so one of the things about um cannapolis uh, that people know and and the town's known for is the cannapolis Ca- mill cannon cannon mm-hmm. mill so um everybody worked there well my daddy they they said worked there about six months and then he went to work for berlin Elliman. What is Bertle? What is that? Berlin Elliman was the garage that he worked on race cars, and Junior Johnson and their their um, liquor running cars. You know, really, Daddy'd work on them and drive them to North Wilkesboro and show them how fast they were, and then bring another one back and work on them at Berlin's. And that was one of his first jobs, other than that little bit of time in the mill. That's news. I didn't um, know that. You didn't know that. No. Oh yeah. Ralph he was building liquor cars yep. for Junior and them guys. He would never probably admit, admit that, to but it. <laughs> it was it was a fact that Berlin's garage there on on Cannon Boulevard mm-hmm, worked goodness. on their cars from North Wilkesboro. So, hmm. 
did you work at the mill? I did. I worked in the mill. I always worked in some type of um, textile type. You know, I worked in a hosiery mill. I worked in at Terry Products where you make baby clothes. But when I went into the mill, I made the best money I ever made in my life. I was, I've always been um, kind of a leader, a trainer. I loved my job. I enjoyed doing it, and I learned all the little things that you needed to do to make it better and to be faster and to make better quality. And so I went into training in the mill. I worked there probably 25 years. But we went to 12-hour shifts, and... I then worked extra days, and so I was working six days a week, sometimes 12 hours a day. And Mike came to me one day and said, I was making good money. It was be, it was hard. This was a hard decision to <laughs> I make. I know, you were like a leader, like a I was, manager. I was like a supervisor yeah. on the first shift, and yeah. it took a lot to get to the first shift, yeah. much less yeah. to be a supervisor. I was um, manager over a training department to teach older people how to uh, acclimate and change to the newer, faster equipment. I really love that, love helping people. And Mike came to me one day, and he said, all right, our marriage is important. I think it's time that we make a change. And I said, doing what? He said, let's go sell souvenirs. I said, are you crazy? (laughs) Our friend Bobby Wagner's brother, Rocky, owned Creative Design Sportswear, which uh, was a NASCAR license. And um, NASCAR wanted to have a souvenir um, apparel trailer on trackside. Uh, I think Rocky's logo was NASCAR, America's number one motorsport, was his patented logo. Everything we sold. The only thing about being on that trailer, you had to be nice to all fans, (laughs) not just Earnhardt fans. In fact, they'd really rather me not tell them I was an Earnhardt. Yeah. Over the years, you know, fans found out. They know other people at other trailers tell them. And it was never a problem until one time at Indianapolis. I love trackside. I love race fans. First, let me tell you about my first time at Daytona, you know. Now, what, when, when did you make this shift? Like what 1995. Okay, all right. <clears throat> 1995. Right. And we go in to the NASCAR trailer, and we pull in down at Daytona, and it's like, Okay, I know how to work a weaving machine, but what do I do now? Mike was great at displaying the walls. He was perfect at doing that. Of course, he kept the truck trailer, and I kept up with all the money. (laughs) (laughs) And so we pulled in down there, and, you know, Rocky and Bobby were showing us what to do. Well, here come Dale. Him in his truck, and there's always somebody with him. You know, he was never alone. I think it might have been J.R. at the time. Pulled up down there, and... Well, y'all see y'all made it down here. Are you having problems? No, we got down here okay. He said, Rocky, come here. So they walked off. Dale had got out of the truck, and they walked off, and I thought, well, mm, this ought to be interesting. So Rocky come back, and his eyes was big. He said, well, I just got to come to Jesus' meeting, and you know that's my sister. You better be careful with her. (laughs) So, you know, that was probably the one time that Dale actually stepped up for me and you know, all that kind of thing. We loved it. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. I'd never been really South Carolina and Virginia, maybe Georgia and Florida, but had never been anywhere and just loved the different demographics and learning the race fans and 
how the people in Loudon always stood in front of our trailers because they loved to hear us talk. <laughs> <laughs> and then we loved to hear them talk as well. Michigan was always a, uh, an eye-opener because the people up there are really loose with their language. California was fun. We went to Indy the year your dad had to get out of the race car. Mm-hmm. You know how emotional it was for him. It was emotional for us all. You know, we were just family, but our emotions ran parallel with Dale's. And so we had actually some people in front of our trailer. Well, there's these two guys. One of them was really mouthy. Of course, we had the race on the radio. They're making a big deal about Dale getting out of the car, Mike Skinner getting in, and how emotional or Dale was, you know, and this blah, blah, blah. And this guy was in front of my trailer. Oh, that wussy ass, you know, that, you know, was running his mouth. I said, let me tell you, you step back from my trailer. And he said, excuse me? I said, I said, step back from my trailer. He said, what do you, why do I got, what do you mean? I said, that's my brother. And let me tell you, you don't understand the emotion. You get away from my trailer. And his buddy said, come on, come on, she's right. You're being, because he had been very ugly. But everybody around was cheering, you know, because <laughs> I had actually stood up and I wasn't going to allow it. I wasn't yeah. going to allow somebody to, be to yeah. say ugly things about Dell mm-hmm. ever. There's been a lot of times I had to bite my tongue, but most of the time I have something to say back. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I got something to say. I'm going to say it. <laughs> what was your first memory of being at a racetrack? In at Columbia with Columbia? Daddy. Mm-hmm. Really? As a little, little girl. Yeah. I can remember sitting and... I think it was um, not co- not Cotton Owens, but um, ah, anyway, one of the wives had boiled peanuts. Daddy said, "If any one of y'all will eat one of those peanuts, you're gonna get a whipping." Why? We because they were bad luck. <laughs> okay. We couldn't wear Just anything green. I never owned anything green in my life. So the rumor is that Ralph was was. He was. He believed all of the traditional racing superstitions. Yep. Peanuts. Let me were bad tell luck. you something, yeah. honey. I it's, heard he pulled a gun on somebody for bringing peanuts near his car. I've heard that same rumor. I wasn't there and didn't witness it. Did Ralph the, Earnhardt have a gun in his truck? Ralph Earnhardt carried guns. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were usually hunting guns, sure. but they served the same purpose. <laughs> <laughs> if needed. <laughs> <laughs> he sent my. You know, Daddy wore these canvas slip-on shoes to race in yeah. back in the day. And he sent Mama to buy him some shoes, and they were black, black canvas shoes. I ain't wearing them damn green shoes. And Mama said, what do you mean green? That Ralph's shoes are black. He said they had flowers on the insole with green leaves on them. He would not wear them. She had to go back and find something different. And I know that for a fact. (laughs) I was there. Yeah, so at Columbia, he's telling you not to eat the peanuts. (laughs) Yeah, we were little kids then, I I wanted I wanted the peanuts. <laughs> we <laughs> didn't have boiled peanuts at my house. So Dad carried some of those same superstitions too. He didn't. He he was fifty dollar uh, bills. Fifty dollar bills, even like a and and there's you know there's good good luck things too. You know a ladybug. You find a ladybug, put it in your race yep. car. That's good luck. Um, I learned that probably around ninety eight, ninety nine. So you remember going to Columbia? Mm-hmm. Ralph had some good success down there. Columbia, Greenville, Pickens, Asheville. Um, Great Smoky Mountain Speedway. In fact, I got a picture here for Matt. <clears throat> As it, I mean, we're little. We're like seven, eight, nine, maybe. Me and Kay, and we're so close in age. Mama dressed us like twins. 
She had gone to camp at Ridgeway, which was a, a church camp up in Asheville, somewhere up around Asheville. And she had been there the week. She cried every day, wanting to come home, but she had been there the week. And Daddy was going to race at Great Smoky Mountain Speedway. So when we left, Mary and Tommy Young were with us. And um, we stopped and picked Kay up, and it's the first time I ever stayed in a motel. You know, we'd yeah. never traveled overnight. I never, we never went on vacations as a family ever. ever. Never been on a family never. vacation with our whole family. No, no, wow. ever. Daddy raced all summer, six days a week, some mostly. But we picked up Kay. We stayed at this motel, and I've got a picture of Daddy, me, and Kay, and we're dressed alike. On either side of Daddy at that motel is is the only picture I could find or have, and I don't know who gave us that because Mama didn't own a camera. But me and Mary sang um, <coughs> the song on top of spaghetti. I'll cover on top with of cheese. Smoky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was on top of spaghetti. I'll cover with cheese. <laughs> when your meatball fell off and rolled yeah, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Over and over and over. No My wonder, mama said, "Don't shut." I was up. getting ready to say, "No wonder they didn't take y'all on family vacations." <laughs> <laughs> but we—that's the only time, and I don't remember Dale going to that race with us, because um, he was—he was. He was yet look you know smaller so mm-hmm. i don't remember dale being with us in that race so uh let's talk about dad failing his what fourth grade year we got his records so uh, records. fella come through here a couple months ago and gave me and kelly his records so we could see <laughs> some of the grades that this guy was getting man they were it was rough um but anyways he comes to I mean, I'm assuming he comes to Ralph one day and says, I'm going to drop out of school. He's in the eighth grade. He's 16 years old. He's done failed to fourth and the seventh grade. And do you remember all of that? I do. So, I mean. Mom and Daddy would not sign at that time. What do you mean? Your parents had to sign for you to get a driver's license. Oh. And so you get a driver's license at 16 with the parent's signature, they would not sign. Dale was 18 years old before he got a driver's license. I didn't know that. I'm not saying he didn't drive some. Sure. He did well, because when he quit school in the eighth grade, he was like 15 was or 16. 16. He, he was, was 16. Yeah, he he was 16. Right. Yeah. And Daddy said, you know, you're on your own. I'm not going to help you. You know, you don't go to school. I don't help you. You don't um, you don't get your driver's license. You, well, you get them when you're 18. But he did continue to live there, but... You know, he. I mean, was it not completely awkward? Yeah, you got to tell more. Some days, <laughs> some days it was just awkward. Period. Living at that house. Why? Because Daddy was strict. He was very, very strict. You know, you get up in the morning, there's a pot of coffee percolating before sunup, and that coffee percolates all day long because he drinks coffee all day long, smokes his cigarette, and his. You know, Daddy never had credit. He bought everything with cash. If mother needed a washer or refrigerator, he went and bought it. She never got to pick it out. And it was just another story to show you how Daddy's mind worked. Dale and all the boys in the neighborhood played marbles. You know, you mm-hmm. draw a circle, and Dale was really, really good at it. Well, there was a little boy down the street that was, they were playing that day, and his daddy called him, and that little boy grabbed up all the marbles and ran, and they were Dale's. Dale had won the marbles and ran. 
And they were always in a bag, you know, a sack with a string. And so at that during that era, you didn't lock your doors. Well, they went off. He, they called Roger home because they were going off somewhere. And Dale went down and went into their house and got his marbles. And all of us, mother, me, I don't remember Kay, but Ren Randy, were standing in the hall behind Dale and Daddy were behind closed doors. And Daddy was whipping that child with a belt mercilessly. Mm. Mercilessly. So we were all taught about with one lesson. That was Dale's first, I think, that he got a real beating. Yeah. My first was at four years old, and Daddy whipped me with the switch every step of the way home. <laughs> I remember having to pick your own switch at my mom's. <laughs> you had to go pick your own switch. Yes, you did. But when Mama whipped you, just that wasn't no big deal. When Mama, Mama whipped you every day for something. <laughs> but Daddy was just, when he came in the house, you got quiet. Everybody sat down at the table at the same time. You ate your food. You didn't talk during the meals. And I'm not saying that Daddy didn't have didn't talk a little bit. And I'm not saying that my Daddy was really mean, but he was just really firm. He taught us from a young age, you're to be seen and not heard. When we went to visit people, you weren't to ask for anything. If they offered it to you, you ask if it's okay, and then whether it's food or a toy or whatever. And some of the kids we went and played with, they had lots of toys we didn't have. So So we would have the Wiggins were my best memories, Uh, Johnny Wiggins' house, Carl and Agnes and Johnny, their kid Johnny. But um, one Christmas, Kay and I, we were older. We were starting to be preteens, and we had wanted uh, the— Career Goodman uptown, they sold the designer clothes, I guess you call it, Basswegians and, you know, all these nights. And we wanted this certain pocketbook, Kay and I did. <clears throat> we didn't know, Mama, that's what they had bought. But when Mother and Daddy was gone, Kay and I opened our package to see if we got the pocketbook, and we did. Wrapped our stuff back up. But Mother could tell that it had been wrapped up, and she was always a narc. She always told on us. <laughs> and do you know, Daddy made her take those pocketbooks back and wouldn't let us Are have them. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's that would so hurt. Rough. Oh. That's how That's how he ruled. That's how he ruled. You know. well, that sounds a little yeah. familiar. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but, but his mother, my grandma Arnhart, Effie, when we, you know, when we first moved up to the big house, she babysat us while Daddy and so Mother could go to some races. I mean, Daddy was racing six nights a week. He was gone all the time. So Grandma Earnhardt kept us a good bit. Well, then she started with the Lonely Hearts thing and found her a man and moved. And so we had a nanny bell that just lived down the road. And they started letting Kay and me keep us. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> when they were going to be gone to races, they'd be home that same night. And so one of the memories I have of your dad coming in the house with this hand all wrapped up, Kay's laying on a bed, I think she's painting her fingernails, and I don't remember what I was doing, but Dale says, I've cut off my finger, I've cut off my finger. And Kay said, oh, Dale, shut up. You have not. So he takes the the rag he had wrapped it, and sure enough, he had cut off the tip of his finger, and you know the finger we're talking about. 
So we took him, uh, and we called Aunt Annabelle, said, Annabelle, we, Dale's cut off his finger. We got to go down. And Dr. Krells was just down the road. So we took him down there. It took me, Kay, Annabelle, and a nurse to hold him down for them to doctor that finger and sew it up or whatever they did to it, just even giving him. He didn't want to deaden it. He just said, just do it, be done, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was, and then when he protected us with the gun that night. What happened? What happened? <laughs> Another night, Mom and Dad had left us there. We were, Kay was older then. We were a couple years older, and Dale had started hunting some a good bit with Daddy, and we heard, we heard something. We heard, you know, that big old house. <laughs> we, we, we heard something, and we thought it was an intruder. So Dale gets the gun out. Of course, we call zero. You call, you know, zero then to call operator, the police. Yeah. yeah, call the operator to call the police. And so by this time, Dale's outside with the gun going around the house looking for an intruder. The police get there and think Dale's the intruder, not not literally, but yeah. he said, boy, you have to give me that gun. We, If there's an intruder, we don't want no shooting. And so they took the gun away from him and got us all calmed down. But it, so, they never found anybody. So whenever, um, I mean, obviously this is all before Papa died in 1973. Mm -hmm. And so how old were you guys when that happened? And what was the shift like for, from those family dynamics to then? Because some of you were still young. Danny Pretty. was the only one still at home, at home. when okay. Daddy died. Okay. Um, he was in high, he was senior in high school. And um, what's the total age difference between the five kids? Okay, there's 14 months between me and Kay, 16 months between me and Dale, 18 months between Dale and Randy. And two years between Randy and Danny because Mama lost a baby between them. So let's say them. six years. I didn't maybe. know she lost a baby. She lost a little girl. Mm -hmm. Between between Randy, Randy and, and Danny. Danny. I had no mm -hmm. clue. Yep. She had a miscarriage. How far mm -hmm. into the, uh, the... I don't know how far along she was in her pregnancy. I just know that she lost that she lost a baby and that they knew it was a little girl. Dang. Did you huh. know that, Kelly? Uh -uh. So, no. so Mother was 17, 19... When she started 25, when Danny was born. 25. Mm -hmm. so oh, she, man. Yeah. That's crazy. There was a little lady by the name of Annie mm -hmm. that helped Mama. You know, I always thought we were poor. But when I look back, you know, Daddy paid for a lady to come in to help Mother. Mother never had to work. I never remember being hungry. I remember being cold because there was just one heater in the house. You had to come down to it and put a heater in the bathroom and take a bath. But... That was normal back then. But Annie would call Dale her little blue-eyed baby, and he'd cry to go home with her, which we went to her house some, too. But he loved that woman. Yeah. Wow. It was like— I'd never heard about her. But Mother—oh, Annie was a, a, a good soul. She um, helped, you know, help take care of the kids and help cook. Mm -hmm. Did—when Danny's living there and y'all are gone— with the way that you describe how strict Ralph was, was Danny having any? Uh, was Danny having problems being there by himself, living under such strict rules? I don't think so. Danny was the baby, yes. you know. <laughs> so he was treated a little. Because Danny was, was always, always, he never broke rules. Really, he always did like he was supposed to. Huh. You know, him and Sherry, his wife, started dating when they were in high school. Okay. So there wasn't Very any hanky-panky yeah. in around. I mm -hmm. got you. And Are so, you insinuating that there was hanky-panky before that with people? 
<laughs> Probably. Maybe and, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Probably between all of us, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We sat on the roof. Me and Kay, we used to go out of the windows on, on the roof and sit out on the roof of the house to watch for cars to see if our, any of our friends were going by because Daddy wouldn't let us go out that night. We loved to roller skate. Roller skating was a big deal when and we were I remember going to roller skating rink. On, yep. on the highway up there. Yep. Well, down, one. the one that the only one that let us go to was Barbie's down on 29 in Concord because a man and a woman were very strict about going in, going out, and mm-hmm. being hay. Well, Kay's way of learning to skate was really taking it easy. And my way of learning was going wide open. I'd fall every lap. And when I'd come home, Daddy would literally take his knife and scrape the splinters out of the side of my leg where I had fell so many times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd look like I had a beard on my legs where I had so many splinters. But that's the way I did things. Just always wanted to be wide open. (laughs) Do you remember, um, was there any uh, concern about Ralph's health before he passed? Well, there was, I can remember one time, and I was fairly young, that Daddy, I don't know if he had um, got sick or passed out. I don't know how it commenced, but he ended up having to be in the bed for a few days and drink this white chalky stuff. That's really what I remember about that. But that was quite a few years before his heart attack. And Daddy had a heart attack in January of 73 and that was on the cusp of them doing bypass surgeries and stents and so that that wasn't an option for him then wait so he had a heart attack before he had a heart attack in january of 73 they put him on medication he drove a race car maybe a time or two but that's when stick elliott drove for him was that it affected him physically 73 it affected him physically he just wasn't well, then he had a heart attack and died September of 73. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, you know, for the longest time, people, you know, love to tell the story that he passed away in his shop working on his mm-hmm. car, right? That mm-hmm. just Because that sounds mm-hmm. so cool. But uh, Yeah, that's just all about the movie things. Yes. <laughs> but he passed away in, his, in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And there was a parts delivery or a sub-delivery? There was a lady. lady. Her her husband, they ran the Whataburger down. I don't even remember what number it was. It was a small one down across from the cemetery down on the boulevard on 29. And uh, I think he... I think it was a drag car he had, and Daddy was working on parts or doing something for him. And the story was told that me and Mother had gone to take Grandma Earnhardt to the mountains back home. So we weren't there. We left early, and according to timing, he died not long after we left. I mean, it was early in the morning before lunchtime. And the lady said she got there, and Daddy was going into the house and told her that he'd be right back. So she said, for whatever reason, I just stood there at the base of the steps of the back door. She said, and he never came. And I heard a noise, but I didn't know what it was, but he never came back out. She said, so I went in. Dad, you know, it's pretty common knowledge Daddy had had a heart attack in January. So I went in, and she found him in the floor, in the kitchen floor. He had a, started opening a pack of gum a piece of gum that was laying on the counter, and the water was running. And so apparently he'd gotten hot, flushed, or whatever. Thought gum, you know, you put a piece of gum like in your mouth, that thing, might yeah, help. Yeah. 
Well, she couldn't find a telephone, so she ran across the street to the Carter's house, and they called Zero. <laughs> I don't think 911 was yet. And uh, when the ambulance came, of course, they said he was still alive, but when they got him to the hospital, they pronounced him dead. Kay and Dale made it to the hospital. I don't know if Rand, about Randy and Danny made it to the hospital to see him, to see his body or to yeah. see him. But um, Mother and I had gone to Bryson City to take Grandma and Jesse back home because she wouldn't wait till the weekend for Daddy to take her back. And they called the highway patrol who was supposed to stop us or, or catch up with us. And it was before lunch because we used to have lunch at Grandma's. And they said, well, they were supposed to come to Grandma's house if they didn't catch you on the interstate. We started back down the mountain and stopped in Canton to see Hilda and Frank Presley, who Daddy drove for, the V8 car. And Hilda came to the back door. She said, what are y'all doing here? Mama said, well, Hilda, we just come to visit. Have you not talked to anyone at home? Well, no. Why? What's wrong? You need to call home. Dale, you need to call your house. Dale's at your house. You need to call your house. So I called, and all Dale would tell us is that Daddy had had a heart attack. They wouldn't tell us Daddy had passed. And, um... You know. What you was know? daddy what what was what was daddy's state? He just said, Kathy, you need to let Frank bring you and Mama home. Daddy's had a heart attack. He was as calm as he can be. As calm as he could be. My God. And I said, Dale, how serious is it? He said, Just get Frank to bring y'all home. Well, Frank was on the golf course. I wasn't waiting on his eyes. I said, we're going home. Hilda said, no, you can't drive her home. I said, well, hold your breath. <laughs> I can, too. Well, that was before the big interstates were built. You know, there was, it was about a five-hour, almost five-hour drive up to Grandma's house. But Canton, it was probably a three-hour drive home. We got home about 4 o'clock, and I just remember cars being on both point, sides yeah. of the road. You know, the crowd of people that was there, that told us what had happened. And then Dale and Kay and Dale and Randy and Danny met us at the car, and we all went in Mom and Daddy's bedroom, and they told us, you know, what had happened and how it happened. And you just, you know, Daddy's the leader. Yeah. I don't care how you interpreted his personality or his ways of, Discipline in his children. He was our leader. He was the person that taught us right from wrong. He was the person that gave us opportunity or not. And, you know, when the doors of that garage closed, it was like the end of the world. Yeah, he was the direction. He was our direction. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, we didn't see Daddy or and even Dell as, wow. You know, racing was our life, and that was our life stopped right there. Even though Dale was, you know, tampering with it some, he um, he just kind of been just getting started, just getting started, and so um, everything shut down. You know, it was easy for us that were married to drive away. You know, the, the way I dealt with my daddy and your daddy's death, and even Randy and Danny somewhat. I can pretend they're not dead because I didn't live with them every day. I didn't have to be there in the mornings or in the evenings when it was time to go to bed and they weren't there. But when I'd pull in Mama's driveway. <laughs> Don't cry. 
and that shop would be closed was the most traumatizing thing of my life. So when Dale started racing, um, you know, he got all the all the race stuff, cars yeah. and all the stuff. The garage doors were back up, and we were back in business. You know, you'd pull in that driveway, and the ra- and the doors were up, and there's trucks and race cars sitting around, and you've got a new lease on life. And I think that's what kept our family from really just all going to pieces, just kept us from going to pieces. Because Dale kind of stepped into that role. He stepped in the role of leader of the family. He told Mama what to do. He told all of us what to do. You know, he was the control freak. So that's how things went. I get that. I can feel that. So when we lost him, he had done moved out of the shop, of course. But when we lost him... It was like, okay, what do we do now? You know, what do we do now? And, you know, Randy and Danny just weren't the people to step up. People expected you to step up when Dale passed. They expected you to be the things that Dale was when Daddy passed. And that wasn't the way it was going to be. And we all just kind of were in limbo because... You know, at some parts of our life, there was Earnhardt's in Kanapas, and there was Earnhardt's in Morrisville. There was mm-hmm. like, you know, at his funeral, we sat over here, they sat over there. It was just kind of awkward, as yeah. you say. But um, we wanted somebody to step up because we needed that leader. We needed that glue. And my mama was a champion. She did. She, She's the one that carried us all through it and... Never floundered, never, um, you know, she grieved, obviously, but she, as you all testament to during her passing, that, you know, she was the glue for a lot of people. She was the support for a lot of people, and um, she got us through it. <laughs> so when uh, when Dad started, how, I mean, it didn't seem like looking at some of the physical records from racing and so forth it seemed like that it's you know dad dad didn't waste any time opening shop shop doors as you say Mm -mm. um and so uh i find it remarkable knowing that he you know was did so poorly in school Mm -hmm. and that he thought the best thing for him to do was to quit school at 16 years old in eighth grade, I mean, the decision-making didn't seem like it was there. But when that moment came, I know he wasn't perfect, but, I mean, he he really, he took what was there that Ralph had created and Ralph had built, he took that and wheeled and dealed, and, and I mean, mm-hmm. through 74, 5, 6, 7, and 8, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, literally created his... He sacrificed Future. his family and kids for that. Yeah, yeah, he mm-hmm. did. Um, well, let me, I want to say something. When you talk about Dale's grades, Dale was brilliant. Dale could, could or would not read something and comprehend it. You could read it to him, and he'd make 100 on his test. The teacher told Mother that. She said, if Dale would just do his homework or just try, he's brilliant. He's got a brilliant mind. Y'all both know what a memory he had. Yeah. 
Well, that's not a reflection of somebody with bad scores. Yeah. You know, he he was brilliant, and he could take a little something and make a lot of something yeah. out of it. He had amazing common sense. Amazing common sense, and Perfect. that's what it took. Daddy was the same way. Yeah. Daddy didn't yeah, have an problem education. Problem-solving. Like problem-solving, yeah. yeah. So, like, that was he, – he was amazing in the way that you – would exhaust yourself trying to find a solution to something, walk into his office and say, here's what I'm dealing with. And he would have you fixed up and ready to go out mm-hmm. the door with us with a, with yeah. an answer in, in, a, in a few minutes because he just yeah. could, mm-hmm. he could step back and, and see the solution so easily. He um, was brilliant. Dale was very, very intelligent. And it's a shame his records. Well, <laughs> don't, I don't, well, but, but it's true, you know, in I don't written think words. I don't think he was dumb. I yeah. think that he didn't apply himself. He didn't, he didn't, apply you know, he himself. didn't want to do the work. Yeah. He wanted to be he at had a shop. Yeah. He had he bigger want, options. Yeah. He didn't want to do yeah. homework. He wanted to work on the car. He didn't yeah. want to go to school. He wanted to stay in the shop and help his dad. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is is that you know one one might tell one might say that you know that's that's not you know he needs his priorities aren't in order mm-hmm. right at that moment when he's trying to mm-hmm. you know when he when when you would think he was being encouraged to finish school mm-hmm. so i guess my point is is that to put all that put all that in front of dad in 1973 at the end of 73 it shocks me that he became what he became it's it, it it's not surprising but how did he not screw that up it's really it is. I'm as you're sitting here talking, I'm thinking about like being parents and yeah. how the things happen. You're talking about a guy that was which you even when you even alluded to the fact that he had his driver's license at eighteen. Yeah. He had a kid he had two kids at that age. He had two kids. He was a he was a lousy dad. He had was a, a lousy husband. Lost his own dad. Like, I do wanna say Dale was a great dad until Latain left him. When he came home from work that day and she had taken care of Dale and everything he owned out of that trailer and left him with a fork and a knife and a plate and a cup and one sheet and one blanket and one pillow, Dale changed. Dale was never the same. Really? Never so, the same. Well, there had to be something There's two that sides to every story, <laughs> but give us your opinion of how all that went yeah, down. Yeah, why that happened. Well, all and again, all I know is what Dale would tell us. Yeah. He would bring he would bring Carrie Dale as a little one to the house, to the shop, and help Daddy on race cars. Mama would play with Carrie Dale and keep up with him. Well, when that went down, we didn't. She didn't have access to Carrie Dale. Her parents always worked in the mill. She said she didn't like the way Dale smelled, like the grease on his hands or, you know, his clothes would smell like cars, and she didn't like that. She didn't like that he did that. She wanted him to work a job and come home and not come to Daddy's, you know, and that was all we were ever really told about that breakup. And so I just know that she left him. She left him, and a couple Christmases— a couple Christmases, uh, Pat, after that, Mother went to take um, Carrie Dell's Christmas present to him, and they wouldn't let her see him. Mm. They said, you can leave the gift, but, you know, Dell's di- were divorced, and she was marrying Jack, Jackie Key. Mm-hmm. And um, then they told us that Carrie had all these problems, and they wanted to change his name. And so Dell was kind of in a corner 
pushed in a put in a corner and at the time it was kind of like the rest of his life he sacrificed everything for his racing mm-hmm. he he went down at concord and did a tire test for goodyear i think it might have been hoosier i don't know but he did a tire test and made nine hundred dollars for doing the tire test he gave her that nine hundred dollars to settle money he owed her and in child support and signed over uh, rights rights to carry down oh, and so he meets mom they get they get married has kelly has me um now I'm, I said he was a lousy dad, but he was frust- <laughs> he was not a lousy. He, he was, was frust- an absent dad. dad. Yeah. Kelly, he was just absent. yeah, he was absent. Yeah, he was. Uh, when he was there, he was great. He was. He was. Um, and he I, loved you, kids. I have some very small. I have some very faint memories of him being there, mm-hmm. and they were good times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do know through stories of from you know from different people, Tony Senior, Robert. Uh, G Junior, mm-hmm. Dad raised hell, mm-hmm. drank out all night, running around, goofing off, uh, racing. Uh, you know, working. Like, when the hell did this guy sleep? Um, and that's what I'm saying as far as like how I don't know how he got it. I don't know how he made it happen. I don't know how he got that opportunity that that propelled him into what he became. Because people like Gary Hargett. He lost his dad. He's he's like list he's like, you know, he just became this he running a hundred mile an hour to speed of light going nowhere. You know what I mean? Just bouncing off walls mm-hmm. not figuratively or not literally, but figuratively. Uh racing his ass off. He was lucky enough to have dealing. good people around him. And he him. had a personality. He, he was likable. I mean, he had a personality that just drew people to Dale him. Dale could you know? sell himself. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, really he could. didn't have no money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, but mm-hmm. I know he bought a car from Harry Gant. He mm-hmm. bought an old Chevelle from Harry Gant. Well, then, that, then they got the Novas somehow. Gray London, Gray London came in the picture. He's the one that actually helped buy the car from Harry Gant. Really? Mm-hmm. And that guy there is the guy that sort of – the other part of the Earnhardt racing story. Yes, yes. Which was a business. Gray London. It was yeah. a business, and we were all part of it. Yep. We all, like Kay and I were one The original sort of Earnhardt racing, mm-hmm. which has been, there's mm-hmm. been some legal you know, arguments and debates about, you know. They didn't involve us well, in that. Well, no, but I know that Gray's, <laughs> there's been a time or two where Gray's tried to come. Well, Gray, Gray took it to a level he wasn't. Yeah. You know that was out of out of out of line or illegal for him to do, and so we all had to go to court about that. But yeah. um, he came in and helped Dell when he needed. Dell seemed to always find who was he? Gray London owned Danny made foods, catering trucks that drove around yeah, mm-hmm, to workplaces mm-hmm. and sold sandwiches. Was that on the side of Ralph's car? Mm-hmm. Danny made food. Yes, it for was a on. long time, right? Mm-hmm. And so he had a relationship with Earnhardt's before Dad. Mm-hmm. And so when Dad started racing, <clears throat> he continued to support. He continued to support Dale, and he stepped in and uh, was probably think the there may have been somebody else that would have stepped in, but he did, and that really got Dale started. Yeah. And then people like, um, like I said, Gary Hargett yeah. and Eddie Gibson that uh, had a trucking company. I remember Gibson being on the side of the car mm-hmm. at one point. Those people came in with money and helped him to the next level or helped yeah. him the next step or help him get through that season right. whatever the, it seemed like because in dale's mind if he could just show his talent if he could just get the chance to get out there and show what he could do 
then he'd make it. That was his mentality. I just got to show what I can do. Yeah. So he's running his little Nova. He's got a Nova or two, and he's running that all over the place in mm-hmm. the in the mid seventies. He's running Robert G's dirt car. Mm-hmm. And, um, Robert G was another one that helped him yeah. along the way. <laughs> and at time, but at times the the relationship with Robert would go bad. Um, I know that one point, one time they were. Um, well, I mean, to be frank, I mean, I don't know the story, but um, Dad was going to go over there with a gun and and. <laughs> you don't know that story, <laughs> Kelly. You never heard was that, that when Dale and Brenda that story, was, that's what was, I was. Was that when Dale and Brenda was having Dad, their problems? Possibly, but that's what I'm sitting here thinking of. I mean, you're talking about '74. So, I mean, I'm born in '72. You're born in '74. '74 yeah. is when our parents supposedly separated, or '76. '76. '76. Four and two. Mm-hmm. Something happened yeah. at the racetrack. Dad wasn't driving Robert's car. Somebody else. They was. started being yeah. competitors yeah. rather than companions. Yeah. You know, rather yeah. than something yeah. happened at the racetrack, mm-hmm. and then Dad went. And got wild somewhere and then was going to go take mm-hmm. care of business, I think. And Mama oh, had to stop Lord. him. You never heard that story? No, I never heard God, that I story. never heard that story. I thought, but see, I think I'm always the last one to hear these. No. So I'm sure, I thought I was bringing something to the but table. But I guys take it back know. to the boys versus girls. You know, boys would, might, you might have been in a group of men telling that tale that you heard. Mm-hmm. Had Kelly or me or someone else been in that they group, wouldn't they wouldn't it. have told yeah. that story. Well, Mom told True. it. I thought Mom might have shared a little bit of that on her when, when she was well, she on might the have. podcast. Yeah, I she can't might remember have. where. But anyways. I loved your mama. She was, we always <laughs> thought she'd deal a soulmate and it did last forever. Because Brenda and I were really close when you kids were little. Yeah. Uh, especially Kelly uh, and Shelly. You know, when we moved of course, they moved to the lake. Dale moved to the lake, and y'all, you kids were living there. And then when I married Mike, we moved to the lake. You know, y'all played. You remember lot, driving yeah. the red uh, oh, yeah. Volkswagen around the island? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mike letting them little girls drive that Volkswagen. I think it ended up out on the farm, didn't yeah. it? But um, So I'll tell you a story about dad and mom. So um, dad, th- they were living across the, speedway, uh, across the street from Sharpmere Speedway. Mm-hmm. All right, they had a trailer. Mm-hmm. And it had a tank on the front of it for, for fuel, for pet, mm-hmm. for uh, heat. Oil or whatever, yeah. yeah. And t- Mom said that Dad would, he was working at Freightliner? Freightliner. Right. He was welding. He's mm-hmm. a welder at Freightliner. Mm-hmm. And um, he would work, he would, he would race and skip some work. And so his money that he was bringing home was only enough to really kind of get him five dollars or so here and there worth of mm-hmm. oil to go in that tank and he, mm-hmm. mama said the tank was never full never full it'd have enough for a couple of days but one time they'd had a good week something happened dad won or whatever and he filled that tank up and then he went out with his buddies and got drunk and she said he came home in the middle of the night and and ran into the hitch on the end of the Dumped trailer which pushed the trailer off the off the blocks and knocked the tank over. Loose. The tank mm-hmm. rolled down the hill, and all that oil rolled out. I did hear that story. Mm-hmm. So, so that puts it in. That gives me like this impression of dad as sort mm-hmm. of this, you know. And that sad. Those are the stories that give the impression <laughs> because he worked so hard. Yeah, he he did. Now those. When they lived over in the Speedway, I I remember how hard he worked when y'all lived in the mobile home beside the shop. Yeah. I barely remember at Mamaw's house. Mamaw's the the trailer, the shop, and mother's house. Yeah. And I know there was a lot of days you got, you know mother fed you and 
and things. You know, Brenda worked at a bank, I think, at the time, and she'd come home with her payday, and, you know, Dale be Take not making tires. paydays. Or, <laughs> you know, Mama bought was buying tires at the time or buying gas at the time, but uh, Brenda was just doing her best to feed you guys. Yeah. Do you remember when they were on the outs, Mom and Dad? I do. What was that? What was going on mm. in your mind? You can give us. You can shoot shoot us straight. Table of truth. All I know is that he met Teresa, and there was a fight at Mamaw's house. I I've been told that. Well, and that so there are some, Ralph liked Mom the best. There are some like, pictures. There's some pictures of Dad with Teresa, and and it sort of overlaps. I guess the divorce, yeah. right? Yeah. So Dad, Mom, and Dad, <laughs> Mom and Dad were on, were arguing, and Dad was seeing Teresa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then did Dad get he would leave. In? He would leave. He would leave. I was seeing Mike at the time, and um, that's another story. I think he I went him. back and forth. He <laughs> would. So he would leave Brenda and your kids and go to Hickory, pick her up, and go to the races. Yeah. Because your mom had to work. She had two kids to take care of, and she <laughs> had two times. She had no responsibilities. She could eat, do whatever. She could eat crackers and a coke and get by and be everything because she didn't have two kids to feed. Yeah. Yeah. So he was two-timing. It's okay. <laughs> God, it was 1978. Ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's a, so there's a, go ahead. No. There's, a, there's a story that um, after they had decided that they were going to have a divorce, mm-hmm. that Teresa, or dad, was, or mom was at Mamaw's on the front porch, and I guess dad they come were, by. They no, they were swapping kids. You know, ah, okay. But I think I don't remember if Dale had dad y'all was and was swapping them to Brenda, or whatever. Brenda was dropping them off yeah. and y'all was picking them up. And it was all we were there. We didn't even know it. <laughs> it. Y'all were on the front porch. This happened in Mom's kitchen. In the kitchen. Whoa. And honestly, when you say who won, nobody won that fight. No. You kids yeah. lost. Yeah. Yeah. And you, it's easy to say Brenda won, Teresa won, but were Dale. Were you there? Dale, <laughs> you were in the room. Dale should never have brought Teresa in that yeah, house sure. at yeah. that time during that particular time. It was all. I mean, Dale just that was one thing he wasn't real smart about was was managing his personal life and the effect it have on his kids or his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying Teresa's right or it was bad or good. It was Dale that made the choice. Yeah, yeah. Gee, a lot of young girls come after Dale. You know. You know how it is, how the women come and flock around you, especially if they think you're available. And um, I don't fault her for that. I don't know if she knew he was really married or if he thought she thought he was separated. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But I know she loved Dale, and I know Dale obviously apparently cared for her, but it was a nice to ugly time, and it was devastating to our whole family yeah. because that's the last thing we wanted to see happen. So clarify for me, like, I have these <coughs> memories of, because um, I have a lot of memories of, like, staying with you. Obviously, Shelly and I, your youngest, were best of friends. Tight. And tight, tight. And we played um, t-ball together. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this I, had I to be mm-hmm. 79, 80s, 81's mm-hmm. time frame because it was but before. But your dad came. Well, that's what I'm going to say. So mm-hmm. it was before. We lived with mom. But before we moved in with Dad, when our house burned down, and I can remember, like, leaving those ball games with Dad, and Dad would mm-hmm. come watch and all. But, like, the dynamics of – I don't really even remember Dale being around. I don't remember <laughs> Dale being around that but, either. I know. don't. But I remember those dynamics. So what was what was our life like from your perspective of what was happening, you know? It was just always, like, 
worried about the kids. Where are you going to be? Who was going to, who us. was keeping you? Because we knew that Dale was flip flitting around doing his thing, and and God bless Brenda, she's working, and obviously had to have a life of her own. And so, did we have like routine visits with Dad? Because the I only have yeah, like this me and one Kelly visit. Don't remember yeah, I have this Dad. one visit going to Teresa's apartment or a part an apartment over in on Sugar Creek Road. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have one memory there. I can like envision the apartment a little bit, but I don't really remember like routine visits. You know, see the only thing yeah. we I really remember is your time with Brenda. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, Dale was racing, and I don't even, didn't yeah, I don't even remember know. a whole mm-hmm. lot of that either. Yeah, so, yeah. No. yeah from 74 just, to. Just mama worrying about you. 81. From yeah. 74 <laughs> to 81, I remember spending the night. I remember one, mem- I don't have a lot of childhood memories, right? I mean, it's just a natural thing, right? It's, uh, it's not abnormal, I don't feel. But I do remember spending the night at Dad's lake house. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were uh, Teresa wasn't there. It was mm-hmm. just me and Dad. Before they were married. And I had a weekend mm. where I was with him, and that was that, you know. And and uh, I don't know if we went to a race or what, but I just remember spending the night. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my fourth birthday, we were in Mamaw's kitchen, and Mom was there, and they were telling me all day that Dad wasn't going to make it. Or dad wasn't supposed to be there. We were gonna have a cake at Mom. We we're gonna have cake at Mamaw's house. Not mm-hmm. Dad wasn't gonna be there. Dad mm-hmm. wasn't gonna be there. And so we're in there. We just got there. We weren't there long at all. And Dad come riding in the kitchen on a big Tonka truck. <laughs> they had those big metal ones. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. That stuck with me forever. That was my fourth birthday. Well, that's the, that's that is a memory that you know he specifically bought that yeah. thinking of you. Yeah. And that's, you know, through your whole life, that's what you crave. Oh, yeah. Is that, you know, even with my daddy and especially Dale, you never had a, a, a private moment with them. Mm-hmm. You never had a one-on-one. Ever. Ever. Yeah. There was always, even he'd come visit mama, there'd be always somebody with him. Mm-hmm. Always. There was a couple particular times that um, the one that Dale drove into Daytona, and specifically told Rocky he better take care of his sister. But when he won the Daytona 500, and Jebco, uh, Jack Stecker, got me on the golf cart, and we flew down there, and I got into victory lane. And Dale turned around, and all of those thousands of people looked me right in the eye and said, there's my sister Kathy. And that, to me, was as if we were on the planet all alone. Because that's what you crave your whole life. Mm-hmm. It just for your dad, for Dale, Randy, Danny, Kay, any member of your family to have that thought of wanting yeah. you there yeah. and you being a part of it. Because yeah. that's what you crave is, I just want to be a part of it. Y'all have allowed me to be a part of it now for many, quite a few years. You've included me in trips and cruises and, you know, always provided ways for us to be able to go somewhere we might not have been able to go that has meant as much as that moment of Dale looking me in the eye and saying there's my sister and then of course said we won the Daytona 500 (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome and they and I've got pictures in here of of us in victory lane with him and so I know what you mean that Tonka truck do you still have it no no I don't know where that ended up (laughs) 
you said earlier you wanted to uh, tell the story about meeting Mike, and I know there's another mm-hmm. memory that involves Mike that I want to talk about, Sergeant Peppers. Talk about how you met Mike. And well, then we'll, when um, Dale, like you said. And this is a frame up the year. Like what, This what, is what like right after Daddy died. So this is like 1976. Mid-70s. Okay. And Dale had, Mike worked in the body shop at Beasley Cross Chevrolet, and Randy worked in the parts department. And, of course, it was it was Earnhardt Racing, and we were all part of it. And Randy and Danny go there at night and work on the race cars. Of course, their wives didn't like that much, but they did. So Randy asked Mike, he said, man, we tore our race car up. Do you think you might come and help out? He was body man, you know. He could fix dents and paint. And Mike said, man, I don't know about race cars, but I'll go give it a shot. So that started their relationship. He was technically the first employee because he never got paid. But unless there's a little extra cash they might hand him. But he was single. He didn't have a problem. But Dad worked, you know, he worked with Dale quite a while. And he and I just talked. I was divorced. He and I would just talk because Mike's six years younger than I. You know, he's just a baby at that point. <laughs> I was married to well, divorced two kids and I was out of work for some surgery and one night my phone rang and we didn't have cell phones at the time and I said hello and it was Mike he said or I saw your lights are on are you up or you would you like a little company I said sure I'm watching the news the girls are in bed come on down I thought is it shop come to find out he had driven out to the Burger King where there was a payphone <laughs> to call me and when he came, he came in the back way. I had a circle driveway and some really tall hedges. And he pulled over here and, and parked behind the hedges. Come to the back door and he come in. And I didn't know that till it got time for him to leave. So we sat on the couch and we watched uh, the news. And he said, well, I guess I better go. Got the back door and he kissed me on the cheek. I thought he was going to fall down the back steps. <laughs> but... He went around. The, I said, where are you going? He said, my car's over here. I don't want Dale to know I'm down here. He, he won't like it. I said, whatever. We're adults. You know, whatever. So he did that for a couple nights. And then one morning, I was getting the kids in the car, getting ready to go to work, which a couple mornings I was doing that. Dale holler out the window, hey, can't you take the day off? I need some help up here. But anyway, Mike was watching me out the window. And Dale said, all right, boy, you better leave out alone. You're going to get in trouble. Mike said, man, it's too late. And he said, of course, he said, you SOB. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Dale always, Mike's somewhat goal was to be involved in racing. But when Mike, it came to making decisions, that changed Dale's dynamic with Mike because he didn't want me to live that life because he knew how he'd been flip flinting around and you go do and opportunities or the exposures with whoever whatever wasn't healthy for marriages Mm -hmm. and when it came time for us to get married Dale said are you sure he said you know Mike's wanting to be in racing I said I don't think he will pursue that for any long well all right well then he told me we didn't need to move to the lake and we did we was there 37 years so (laughs) mike and i are going on 39 years so something worked out but he um that's how that's how we met and And mike did continue to be involved in racing he worked on i know he told me he worked on the gray ghost uh he worked on buddy backers when he actually thought he had a job at austerland when dale went there 
but that didn't pan out um, for whatever reason. So he went to um, Rainier Racing and uh, um, Monero is his last name, worked in the body shop. Mike worked with him. And so he worked on the Grey Ghost. He was in Victor Lane with that car. And yeah, he won the Daytona 500. He won the Daytona 500. And Mike, Mike's got a Victor Lane picture. Of course, he's got every Victor Lane picture he was ever in with you, too. <laughs> but. Yep. Yeah, Mike. So, Mike, you know, just to explain, Mike became my driver on my bus. Well, he, he, after the he and Dale, deal. he, after the souvenir deal, I came off the road in 2000. They had offered me a job in at Action in purchasing. And so, I, my grandbabies were growing up. I needed to be at home. So Mike said, you go ahead. So in June, I came off the road, and Mike stayed on your Budweiser trailer, which was the greatest time of my life. Is that tracks I'd sell in your souvenirs. I love race fans. <laughs> and um, he said, I'll, you know, work with these new folks on the trailer. I'll finish out the year. And so I went into the office and then in 2001, when Dale was killed, he was on the back stretch on one of Dale's trailers. And um, then John Bickford saw to it that someone got to him and got him on a plane with y'all to come home. But after that, Dale had talked to him about a hauler driver job the next year. Oh. And so Mike's things were falling in place, you know, because he loved driving the big trucks. He drove the Napa truck part-time for Dale. He drove, you know, some of the show car stuff for DEI. But after after Dale passed, they used him a couple of times. And then Kelly called and asked about him helping you with the coach. And it's something he loved and hated yeah. because 252 days a year he was for nine years yeah. he was gone. Yeah. And talk about working on marriages. It's <laughs> tough. It is tough. Now, we weren't expecting him to to not do that job, but after that all, you know, changed over, and he started working part-time for Bobby Labonte, and um, then Regan Smith, he was in heaven. It was part-time. He wasn't gone as much. He, you know, was home so much more, and we kind of got used to knowing each other home again because— <laughs> You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but then you say, okay, ain't it time for you to leave <laughs> <laughs> after you're home for a while? Yeah. <laughs> and so the day Regan quit racing, he said, I just don't think I can find anybody else I could work for that's out there that do part-time. And so he went ahead and took early retirement and left me working. Of course, <laughs> I was working. Kelly called me in you 2013. The radio place. And I worked at TrackScan. Yeah, they track rented scan. and sold uh, the scanners at the races. And she said, you, would you be interested in coming and running my retail store and wholesale? And I said, Kelly, are you sure I can do that? She said, <laughs> sure you can. Sure you can. <laughs> and so I met Joe one day for dinner, for lunch, and he went through this whole rigmarole. And I'm saying, whew, whew, whew. all these numbers are going over my head, you know, percentage of this. I'm Ratio, and I was like, okay, Joe, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you did. Because I know Kelly had my back. Yeah. And I did that until 2020 when old Corona stepped in. And at my age, I was high risk, which they shut the store down. But I had already backed off and semi-retired. Yeah, semi-retired. Working part-time because yeah. I love the race fans. I love talking to y'all, to Earnhardt fans. They are the most loving, caring 
compassionate, loyal. They do not jump on and off bandwagon. Mm-hmm. They are diehard, and they will cut your throat if you say anything <laughs> bad about the Earnhardts. And I love those kind of people. I've met so many of them. I just love them. And I still get Christmas cards from a lot of them. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think, um, when you think about the Earnhardt legacy, um, you know, after all this time and things are, you know, things are sort of settled in for you uh, in your life, where do, where do you, where, where does your mind go when you think about racing or think about the Earnhardts or does it go to Ralph? Does it go to Dad? Do you, what, do, what are you the moments you Honestly, it mostly to? goes to Dale. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the, from my adult life, and that's the most racing that I remember. Mm-hmm. You know, as a little girl, you don't remember as much about the racing. You yeah. remember a little about the people and yeah. the interaction, but I don't remember so much about the racing. Now, as a grown-up, there's a whole lot of things I put together. I thought, mm, oh, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, with Dale, his racing, as hard as it was on family to see what he was doing to his family, it was still like, you got to win. Because that's, we just assumed he'd always win because Daddy had always won. Yeah. Daddy was always successful. He don't think about Dale ever failing. Never, you never failed. The most proud I was of you when you got out of a race car honestly and now i can watch a race without being concerned about anybody's health you know there's not an earnhardt out there i don't have to worry about it i enjoy racing a whole lot more now than i did because <laughs> i was so nervous about yeah, one of you getting hurt yeah. or not doing well or people talking bad about you or for whatever reason because mm-hmm. we take it all very we take the earnhardt legacy very very personal very personal i do I do too. It's hard. It's hard yeah. to watch Wyatt. Like I feel it's oh. the same thing. Like <laughs> just like what you're talking about, just in terms of fans and the pressure mm-hmm. and the responses from people mm-hmm. and the fact that there is this legacy to do well. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, what does that look like? So I get it. Great insight for and watching you do broadcasting. Like. That has got to be one of the hardest jobs on earth. Nah, I won't. I won't, I won't tell you a lie. It's pretty easy. <laughs> I can't. I just. I can't even imagine because I have stood in my house and thought, now if I'm going to be broadcasting, how do you get the words out fast enough before they moved on to something else? Well, luckily there's three other guys in the booth and that take up you, the slack. Yeah, when you run out of things to say or you're having a hard time getting your point across, there's they they can tell and they'll pick it up. They, we all kind of, you know, we all kind of assist each other in there. It's pretty cool. We enjoy you as a broadcaster. I enjoy doing it. I'm so proud of both of you. I just can't ever tell you how much, how much I love you. I mean, you all, you have so much. It's hard to show love to people that have so much, you know? Yeah, but you show love through words and actions. And I, that's, I, that's just, pretty... I just think about you every day and proud of you and your kids. Yeah. And, and even Taylor, she's doing so well in what she yeah. does. Yeah. And y'all always took care of things after your daddy passed. You took care of mother, something I'll never, ever be able to thank you for is how you took care of my mother but um the legacies born and bred in us born and bred in you the blood in your veins yeah all of us i think Mm -hmm. uh, i mean you've said so many things here today that like just transcend the family i think you know from just our our personalities our just what we do who we are what we're made of 
So you know, it's, as a little girl, I remember there. laying upstairs. My bedroom was upstairs, and I was pretty small. I mean, five, six, seven. I don't know. And the greatest, ex, the greatest exhilaration I ever remember. You know that old house. The windows would rattle when Daddy would crank his race cars. You know, just and the and I'd jump up out of the bed. It's race season, you know, <laughs> and go. fly. The, and Dale would already be out there. Just the fact that the race car was, because during the winter time there was no race car running, and when that happened, the cold chills and the feeling of. But racing you know it's race season oh my god it was never about do we have money because i never remember not having food or what we needed yeah you know the kids mamas that worked in the mill got a payday every two weeks and they went shopping for fancy clothes but my mama made me some nice things i, was, <laughs> I never felt slighted well we um yeah, it's been fun we have guests like you that come in here and um that we know really well and we have relationships with but there's never a conversation at this table where we don't learn something uh, new. And we learned a lot of things today that we'd never <laughs> heard before, which were cr- incredible. Uh, and that's why we love sitting down and doing this show. But um, you worried about coming in here and, and, and doing it. well? Well, Look, she's got her notes. You did it. You hit a, you, <laughs> you, you've hit a home run here. You're going to have lots of people talking, and everybody's hearing some new stories for the first time. So we... Yeah. We're we, pretty thankful. We, yeah, we You're were not a superstar by now. We're gonna make you one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just Kathy, yeah. and that's what, <laughs> that's what that's what you know. Oh, oh, I forgot to say. Please say hello to my sisters in Christ at Watermark Church. All right, <laughs> they. I we have um, Wednesday morning uh, sisters or whatever meeting, and of course, when I started to church, and this is way it is in any environment I go into that people don't know who I am and who I'm related to and I don't make a big deal out of it but there was some comments made throughout some of our club meetings over the last few months and so most of them now know I was an Earnhardt well this one lady her name's Ellen she's precious precious lady had been out had been out of town and she came in last last week and she said when it was prayer request I asked for to pray prayers for your safety at Martinsville. It's Friday night. I said, I'm going to the races. I'm so excited. I've not been in five years or longer. We've not been to a racetrack. And we're so excited anytime Dale drives. So I asked for prayers for your safety. And so after we got through with the prayer request, Ellen said, did you say Dale? Dale who? Do you know Dale Jr.? I said, well, yeah, honey, he's my nephew. He's your what? Do you mean Dale Senior was your brother? Oh, my God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Can you get my autograph? Can you get his autograph? I said, honey, that's something that when we're together as a family, I never asked for because we had very little personal time with our mm-hmm. superstars together. or whatever. And it's hard for those few minutes to say, Hey, can you give me 30 autograph postcards for my girls at church? <laughs> but they all send their best wishes. Well, we'll and, take care of them. And I was afraid. I was af- about to forget that, and yeah. I, I was going to be upset if I did because they have really helped me through the traumatic things That's our so family's nice. been through the last few months, yeah. and especially in December. If it hadn't have been for them, I don't know if I'd have 
made it in the good Lord. You know, he's always <laughs> watching over me, and has, I've been really blessed. Well, we're so thankful that you came in here today yep. and shared some of your great stories with us. I know that we uh, just barely scratched the surface in, mm-hmm. in, in some of those, but uh, people are going to love listening to them. And, uh, <laughs> and now we have them documented. You know, we, this is... This is uh, this will Another be good here, part. Yeah, this will be here forever. <laughs> so thank you, Kathy, and we love you. All right. I love you, and I love you, and I'm glad you. you were here instead of Mike Davis. <laughs> I know. I think he's, I think the words were, I'm only coming on there if you're in the room. I'm pretty sure those were the words. I, I, came, I went in Matt's office, and he asked me, and so I ran to Kelly's office. I said, that's the only way I do it is you're up there, and Mike's not. About that time, I forgot Mike's office is right across the hall. Here he comes in the office. What? What'd you say? <laughs> But we're friends, so oh, he understands. It's been fun. All right, everybody. Kathy Watkins on Thank the Dale you. Jr. Download. I love you. Love you, too. I just went live. Oh, all right, right, all right. So Good. we are live on YouTube. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr., and uh, we're here for um, Ask Jr., yeah, I mean, uh, you guys know that. This uh, Ask Junior segment brought to you by Xfinity X5. Xfinity's done so much for NASCAR. They're a proud premier partner of NASCAR, and uh, I'm a customer. I really enjoy the service, and uh, I talk about it all the time. But, yeah, it's bulletproof. We've had no problems since I became a customer, I think, two years ago, two and a half years ago. No outages, no downtime. I've been pretty shocked, to be honest with you, because – I've, uh, I've had internet for a really long time, and you just kind of get used to it. There's days when it just kind of drops out. There's something on their end or something on your end, and I've never never had to deal with that with Xfinity so far, so pretty cool. I need that in my area. I'm ready for it to drop from the satellites. Yeah, so where you I can, live. I live in the boonies. She doesn't have internet. I have three <laughs> megabyte internet, so come Ooh. on, Xfinity no X5. Kidding. She doesn't have like hard lines. It's terrible. The way to get internet where she lives is through satellite only, and I've I've had that before on our on the bus, uh, and yeah. it's it's tough. Well, one clarification. So we do have a DSL line. Remember DSL? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord is right. Yeah. So good internet is satellite, but it's iffy. Um, you know, depending on yeah. cloud coverage. Exactly. So exactly. So, yeah. We need Xfinity. Yeah, to get out I need there. Xfinity. We all need it. Fiber, whatever it is that they cast down to me. Something good. <laughs> X5. Give me something good. That was a commercial right well, there. We love it. Hannah's got y'all's questions. Y'all been sending it in to, uh, to Ask Junior. Brett Griffin's favorite part of the show. Um, and you've been sending them to Xfinity Racing at Twitter. So, uh, let's hear them. All right. The first one busy weekend for um, the Junior Motorsports. Group, this question comes from Ricky Harden. What did you think know, of the Ricky. Cars Tour race at Greenville Pickens? Your two drivers putting on one heck of a show with Lane Riggs. It was super fun to watch. It was fun to watch. And Lane's uh, been racing a while, but this year he's having a really competitive year. Got his car handling right, and he's wheeling it. Um, it's been fun to watch Lane. Uh, he's Scott's son that used to race in the Cup Series. Scott's prolific in late mile stock ranks as well around the Mid-Atlantic region. That's kind of where he cut his teeth. So uh, pretty fun to see the Riggs family um, competing. And, and they, you know, teams like that and people like that make that series better, make late mile stock racing better. But, yeah, it was fun to go uh, – it's fun to tune in and watch Josh get him a win. Uh, Carson Quapple's been running really well in our car. He's, I think he's leading the points right now in the Cars Tour. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, for him, and uh, it's been great to get to know Travis better and Carson and, and uh, look forward to the rest of the year with that game. 
Yeah, I think Carson said he had something for Josh. Had that? Now we're not going to get into this, but their whole putting the person that calls the caution back in their spot and all that good stuff. Mm. Carson said he would have had something for yeah. Josh, so that'd been fun to watch. It would have, but it was a good race. All righty, next one from Brian. What does it mean to have the girls watch you race, knowing how you felt watching your dad race as a kid? Well, I think it's it's more interesting and 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 more enjoyable each year because they're a little bit older and a little bit more tuned into what's going on around them. The first couple of years that we took Isla to the Xfinity races that I was running, she she wasn't really bringing anything. You know, she wasn't creating memories for herself. She she didn't know what was happening. She would see me in my suit but not understand that I got in the car and was out on the track, you know, while they're, while the race is going on. She's like, Mom, where's Dad? What's he doing? Where's he at? Uh, well, he's in that car right there. You just saw him get, you know, get in. And she didn't quite couldn't understand Put it. Put it together, yeah. yeah. And I think it's getting a little better uh, this past weekend. I think she pulled a little bit more from it. So each year it gets better. Uh, and I guess that doesn't really matter that they don't understand. It's the images and the pictures that we have that you're creating yeah yeah so when they get older and and uh when they're my age right and they're looking at these images they'll be like wow you know i can't believe i was there or whatever right they'll appreciate that because i was she, she does know because like we're playing race cars at my house and she says my daddy is a race car driver she yeah there's, <laughs> she's under she's she's she sees she does know knows some of it but yeah. uh anyhow i made the mistake of thinking you know so i you know nicole is one and a half she's totally not understanding what we're doing or why we're going or where we're going right she doesn't know nothing about racing and uh, way too young and i told amy i said you know we we could probably find a sitter to to keep her amy's like no like why would you not want her there i'm like well i just you know you I were do, thinking that I, I she could have there. a better time I do, with a sitter i do want her there no i just was like i do want her there but i don't know you know it's it's gonna be a lot you know yeah and uh, we, she was, Amy's like, no, she's going, she's going to get the same experience. She's going to be afforded the same experience yeah. and, and opportunities that Isla was, was afforded. Uh, so I, when I hear it that way, I think about it like, oh, yeah, because when they are t- in their mid-20s, they're going to go, hey, wait, why wasn't I there? Yeah. You didn't take me? <laughs> wait, you took Isla, right? And they're going to do that, right? So uh, I quickly understood, you know, what, what was so important about having them both there. But She likes the race cars, too. Yeah, she, she does. She likes the race mm-hmm. cars. Yeah. She was getting a little bit fussy, though, and Amy didn't get to stay all the way till, uh, to the anthem or, you know, to the last possible minute on, on, on the grid, which was tough, but... She like, likes to be on the go. I saw. I was watching from up in the suite, and like I saw Amy put her down, and I mean, she just took off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's busy. She likes sitting in the seat and doing the steering wheel and all that good stuff. Yeah. And I always like seeing those pictures too of like the kids, like your Chase Elliotts, your Blaney's, yeah. all those yeah. kids that like they're little, oh, yeah. just in victory lane. It's like baby you know Chase they don't remember baby those. Blaney, yeah. yeah, they don't remember them, but it's the <laughs> pictures that always pop back up. That's right. Let's see here. <laughs> we kind of talked about this today, but this comes from Burt Macklin. How are you going to stand there and let your driver drink a White Claw after the race? <laughs> I ain't worried about it. That's one more beer for me in that cooler. <laughs> um, you know, you can't. I was the same way when I was his age. I hated beer. I wasn't, you know, when I was that young, I wasn't, I didn't like, much, I didn't like alcohol really that much. You know, it was kind of, I had to, you know, when I was at parties and stuff, it was, I was really, really particular. Like I only want this one thing, so I kind of can't be too you can't judge, I, you know, huh? ba- can't be too critical of him. I remember, and y'all will laugh, man. When I when I went 
So when Budweiser, when we signed the Budweiser deal, right, I was not a beer drinker at all. We were going to like a big steakhouse in Charlotte with uh, the Bush family and dad. And I said to dad on the way there, I said, am I going to have to drink a beer? At this dinner, and he's like, "You're damn right you are." <laughs> and he's like, you "Get you a bud heavy, and you sit there and you you, you drink that beer." And uh, I was like, "Man, <laughs> all right." And so uh, I did, and you know, but over time, it, everybody always used to say it's an acquired taste, and that's what it is. It yeah. surely is. Did I didn't drink bitter? my first beer till I was twenty-one. Bitter not, beer not, face. Well, that's probably pretty smart. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But I mean, like wine coolers was yeah. were like wine coolers or margarita was the only thing that I like could stand the taste of. So right. it took me a long time to acquire a taste for it. When beer. you're sitting at that dinner, do you have that better beer face where you're just trying to hold, <laughs> hold it off? Right there, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> I um I held it off. It uh you know it becomes something that I really it took a while for me to get into, but I mean it, you know now it's all I what you prefer. Yeah, I kind of prefer it. But uh, I was a vodka guy from the start. And uh, which is nice because now we have, you know, High Rock and that's been kind of fun to, to get back into vodka. I drank Boone's Farm. <laughs> I did yeah. the wine Ooh, coolers, Bartles and, James. Farm, yeah. the Bartles, Bartles and James. Remember the Bartles and James? Yeah. Yeah. I was, it, I, can't, I can't imagine. Think of, I mean, the options today. Think about that one. <laughs> yeah, Boone's Farm. Yeah, that, that just, yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. So, um, you know, I'm sponsored by Mountain Dew a, a long time, right? But our family is always, you know, was even before that was a Sundrop family. We had Sundrop, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of a regional thing. But it's like a Mountain Dew. Tastes like Mountain Dew, Meliosa, yellow soda. Citrus, yep. That was regional to Salisbury, Kannapolis. So our family, way, way back when Dad was young, they've drank it forever. I used to mix it with Jim Bean, and we called them Jimmy Drops. That was pretty good, but uh, pretty rough on you. I never mixed soda with vodka before. I, I I just, I don't know whether it was the vodka or whatever, but it never went with soda. Have you ever drank a soda with like a, you know, or a vodka with like Coke or Mountain Dew or anything? No, I never. No. Yeah. I tried to it's mix. usually juices. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to mix vodka and Mountain Dew years ago and it just doesn't work. But with High Rock, uh, High Rock and Sundrop is really good. Is it? Yeah. You had a lot of people going on that April Fool's deal <laughs> where, like, you you put it out I and people know. were like, this is so yes. cool. And you're like, oh, uh, no, this was a joke, but maybe we should actually he look into like, this. Oh, there was, yeah. there was absolutely Backpedal. Uh, an agenda there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing about it is there's there's places, Cabarrus Brewing, I think, they've been making some, they made a Sundrop sour beer or Ooh, something yeah. another, you know, yeah. or something. So it's like, mm, yeah. is this really coming down the pipeline? I, 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 most <laughs> things I do have, like, this... They're calculated. The Always, yeah, yes. Yeah. Especially if it's on, what did he used to say about being, talking to the media and now on social media? He's got yeah. an agenda. Calculated. <laughs> I, I will say, like, Strategy. I took, uh, Brad and them told me about a few years ago about the Jimmy Drops. Yeah. And um, I, I was out of, I was out of Sundrop one night, but I did have the Cherry Sundrop. Mm. And Cherry Sundrop and Jim. Ooh, Have you tried cherry good. sundrop and vodka? That I was going to say good cherry. With the high rock. I should. Yeah. I, that was my first thought. Was I would that would be a good yeah. vodka. I'm mixer. not just saying this, but the high rock is so smooth that it goes so. Everybody says that. I, I you're not. Just I'm proud it. of it. Yeah. If you ain't tried it, you need to try you, it. You you want to prove me wrong? Go right ahead. This Get is, you a bottle. This could be a new a new segment. A weekly a weekly yeah. mixer with Dale. Yeah. <laughs> it goes really well with it, with uh, sundrop. Probably most sodas, but I know it goes well with sundrop. Which I'm very happy about. 
Well, we completely derailed that. Um, that's, how, that's how these go. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> what was it? Did we got White Claw? No one drinking a White Claw. I was like, how did we get here? White Claw led us to real drinks. Yeah. That's what's great about podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like rat holes. So this is a question coming frequently from the chat here on YouTube, as well as one that was submitted. And again, we kind of talked about this, but uh, what was your take on the Ty and Sam fight? What should be done? And how do you feel more than anything about Ty not taking his helmet off? That was really the biggest criticism, I think, at the end of end of the night was from social media was about the helmet. And I don't know where I feel where I don't know where I land on that because uh, it's net where you know this has never really been a debate in the past about you know the helmet, and um, it started. Uh, I'm wrong about this, but I know last year with Harvick and Chase. And there was another incident, I think, with uh, with a driver or two that where this conversation about the helmet being on or off uh, started. So uh, I don't remember ever, I don't remember this conversation ever being important. Yeah, if it was uh, on or off in the eighties or nineties or two thousands, right? Kenny Wallace said that you always were learned to leave it on, yeah. right? Yeah, you were taught to leave it on. I, I guess uh, to step back a little bit, I don't think any penalties should be given to any drivers i didn't see anything that went over the line all the on-track stuff even after the checkered flag i'm fine with it i think everything that happened on pit road gets handled by the court of public opinion uh the garage polices itself around things like that nothing that i saw went beyond went across the line into into being a mockery or making the sport look bad all the things that i saw gonna create interest gonna sell tickets gonna get us in the news (laughs) in a good way and so, uh, and I think we should not, you know, we should not encourage Ty or Sam to go out on the racetrack and continue being, you know, being uh, crazy. We don't want to dial them back. We don't want to pull, the, you know, we don't want to put them on a leash and say, you know, behave. Uh, but you definitely don't want to encourage that either. I think you kind of got to let it, let them work it out and try not to keep, keep them from getting too unprofessional. But anyways, uh, the helmet thing, I don't know. I mean, I think that, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, when you're down on pit road, it's hard to it's hard to be critical because things down there are happening really fast. Things are being said that make a guy snap. Things are being done. Guys are making decisions on the fly. It's easy to say, "Oh man, Ty, you should took your helmet off. Ty, you should have you should have took a moment uh, and and taken your helmet off and and squared up the fight, right?" But in the but in the moment, who knows what any of us would have done with with we don't know what Sam was saying to 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 make Ty snap that way, and you're getting pushed over and over and over. I mean, uh, eventually you're just gonna want to go, right? You're gonna swing. In a perfect world, the guys would get out, pull their helmets off, and go toe to toe and fight, and no one would get involved. No ex- no handlers would come around grabbing guys, and no crew members would get involved. And they would just scrap until it was over, and they they just got exhausted, right? And NASCAR wouldn't call them to the holler, and wouldn't tell them, wouldn't hold their hand, and wouldn't tell them to grow up and be good little boys. Uh, <laughs> none of that would happen, right? I have to wonder what would what would it look a little different though had Ty Paul's took his helmet off, set it as a race car, and then come to have his confrontation and you know fuss and all. Would the fight have escalated the way it did? You know, mm-hmm. so. Maybe. Because he had some protection in the long run. Yeah. Who knows? All right. 
actually we have this is not a question but it's been funny since we talked about sun drop people are dropping in the chat saying that they have unopened bottles of sun drop with your dad's yeah. 1979 <laughs> oh, yeah. rookie of the year logo on it there's a lot of people that well, have that sun drop don't try that with it it's probably yeah. not gonna be good yeah. <laughs> probably not good anymore um so that's another- the glass bottles yeah with pulp in i can see it yeah. exactly pulp? well the stuff settled yeah. to the bottom yeah it's like got this stuff at the bottom yeah, yeah don't open those yeah. yeah that doesn't sound doesn't yeah. sound good a question here from Lindsay ward you all get five tracks that you want nascar to race at more than once a year what would those five tracks be more than once a year mm. yeah you know i'm gonna pick uh the, the nashville fairgrounds i'm going to pick i'm gonna pave bristol and run there twice with asphalt, to be clear. And I'm going to seal or repave Richmond and run there twice. I'm going to go to Martinsville. I might even try to see if asphalt works in the corners there now that we have the technology. Uh, there's four. And then I would uh, make sure we ran at Daytona twice before somebody changes that for no damn reason. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote yours down because I don't know. Sounds like a good, good list with that. to me. Okay. Yeah. Cool. She's yeah. like, yep, sounds good. Right. Yeah. yeah. And North Wiltsboro when it gets rebuilt. Twice. Boom. Yeah. Twice. Heck I yeah. like that. Yeah. On cue, I was going to say, Heck people yeah. say hey. North Wilkesboro. Yeah. Good job, Kelly. There you go. Y'all might want to keep your ear to the ground hmm? on some, huh? on some hmm? North Wiltsboro hmm. news what? coming. Mm, you heard Wait, it what? here. That's all I'm going to say. Oh. Well, dang. <laughs> wow. let, that made us all speechless. Just, just hang there like like a like a like a cloud, yeah. like fog. Yeah, people are probably wondering what hand signals are going on behind the scenes right now. Of like, what are we allowed to talk about? Well, that is it for Ask Junior this week. All right, y'all. I appreciate it. Xfinity uh, supports the Ask Junior segment of the show, and I've talked about it. They are a uh, proud premier partner of NASCAR. I'm a customer. Xfinity X5. It's more than fast. It's reliable, powerful. It's secure. Um, and you can do everything that you love on the internet faster with Xfinity X5. So I got more than enough speed over my place. <laughs> bring, this, all. bring me Xfinity X5. I got all, all everything hooked into that stuff. It's still we're we're digging. All right, everybody, it was a lot of fun. Kelly, thanks for coming and co-hosting with me and helping out. I know okay. you got uh, other things you could be doing. Hey, my this morning has been dedicated to you. It's been on the calendar. I've been oh, excited. Oh my gosh. Aww. I mean, my whole career, my life is kind of dedicated to him, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, these three hours, perfect. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, hope I did a good job. Hope I'm invited back. And um, all I wanted to do was make Mike Davis proud. So, mm, Make him nervous. That's what we Nervous? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. He uh, he, he said it was going to be hard to, to miss a week, but, man, he's got to go get some, have some fun with his family, and we're glad he did. You filled in masterfully. We appreciate Aunt Kathy coming on. She was great. Her interview was great. A lot of great stories. Love being able to get her on here and the family to come in and tell us a little bit about what we don't know. And uh, it's always fun to learn something new. Yeah, I always like that because, you know, you think that we can sit around and kind of find out these things and, and learn different stories. But the time that we have together is usually pretty purposeful in terms of our family get together. And you just don't have that much time to uh, share old stories. That's good stuff. That's right. Aunt Kathy, thanks for coming. Kelly, thanks for co-hosting. Everybody have a great week. Dirt Bristol on Sunday, man. I can't wait to tune in and see how that goes. We need to bounce back after Martinsville. Let's go. We'll see you on the Dale Jr. Download. Check out, check, check, check out Dirty Mo Media. Check out Dirty Mo Media. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.